Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 195, Lad versus Dumont, also known as UFC Vegas 40. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com, and with me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network and the creator and host of various shows for that network, including, of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show, which brings you the recaps after these events. Uh, I'm back after a week off. Feels great to be here. Hope you didn't miss me too badly. Uh, Keith, how how was it holding down the fort for a week? You know what? I'm glad you asked me that. It's much harder. So the to your credit, the recap show is a lot easier to host than the preview show. And as soon as – so I did it live. I don't know if you know that. I did it live yeah, I, just, I, mm-hmm. just because it's easier for me to record that way, the way my program's set up. Um, and I don't have the editing skills you are. So I said, oh, that's great. I'll just do it live. See, see if anybody listens. And there was actually, the chat was going pretty well. It, it, it was pretty cool. But the one thing right before I was about to go live, I went, oh my God, there's something that Ben does every week that I don't do. And that's, he sets up the fights. You give the odds, you set up, this guy's on a three fight streak. This guy's on this, this, you know, this guy, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> And I was like, you can get a lot of credit for that because you give so much information before we even break down the styles of the fight and, you know, the X's and O's. It's it's hard, man. It's really hard to do that. You know, it, it takes some prep time, but I, I like to kind of set the plate, not just for you as you break down the fight, but for whoever's listening. I mean, they may not know the last time Dinabakari fought or, you know, what Brandon Davis did before he got to the UFC. I just, you know, like to set the That's table right. a little bit. I, I'm glad it's appreciated, you know, and on the, the one week here, I'm, I'm not here. You know, I'm, uh, it doesn't hurt my feelings that, that people miss it. So so uh, let me ask you this. The show, you, you were just talking off the air. The show went great. Uh, and did any of the listeners show up? I know we didn't give them a lot of time. Not that I, but the thing sold out a, a day or two like out. So if they had even, tried to, they might not have been able to make wow. it. Uh, yeah. You know, like before we even announced, it was already sold. That's how that's how popular you, you guys are. That is so, pretty cool yeah. that you guys haven't played in twenty years and you still sold out. Yeah, I mean it's pretty good. Now it was in Utah, so a lot of those band members had a lot of kids. So the the venue started to fill up just with like their their offspring. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, no, it's 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 good to be back. It was good to see you know a bunch of old friends and kind of hit my old stomping grounds. But uh, I belong here in the year 2021 with my gray hair, you know, and and my sore back. So uh, this card, it's man, cool you have to, to, it's cool to get to go rewind for 20 years. And you know what? We got some fighters on this that uh, could rewind a couple of 20 years. Andre Arlovski, Jim Miller. It's serious. Like Andre Arlovski literally debuted in the UFC over 20 years ago. That's yeah. unbelievable. Man, this card, I mean, you and I talk ahead of every single UFC card, and I think we're pretty honest about when, hey, this is a loaded card or this is a thin card. And and we tend to shy away from superlatives or hyperbole whenever we can. And I'm always conscious of I don't want to complain too hard about fights that I'm getting for free, you know, like this would have been a great problem to have in 2006. Oh, my God, there's too many UFC events. Having said that. This probably is, on paper, the worst UFC card of the modern era. Uh, you know, modern era meaning, like, yeah. the last 10 years. Yeah, well, we've had some bad European cards and Asian cards and stuff like that. But I'm thinking, yeah, it's it's tough because I'm not Jay Petra where I remember these off the top of my head like that. But it's up there. Like, when you look at the rankings, like, what fight matters in the ranking? There's one, the main event. And... Uh, 
honestly, I mean, the main event, sure, it, it matters, but there are zero fighters on this this card who are ranked in the division in which they're actually competing on yeah, Saturday. They, yeah, there you go. That's a good point. And, and, and I understand that we, we're living in a real, really weird world, and there's a lot of circumstances why the card is what it is. One, just a pure amount of fights that the UFC puts on. They put on, you know, there was a time when we were watching a UFC card was once every three months, and you got excited. And it's always – it's funny how people – I've talked to people and I say, I have such an easier time remembering events from 25 years ago than I do from 25 days ago. And you're like, how could that be? Well, because like, as soon as this card ends, as soon as we're done making these predictions, I'm already previewing the fights for next week. And then, yeah. and then it's, you know, there's times like there's times it's almost in my head. This, this event is over because I'm already ahead of, previewing next week's that before the event actually happens i'm already thinking about you know what i mean like i'm already like almost like it already happened yeah but back in the day i would have three months to get excited for insert whatever fight it was coming up you know the the super super tournament you know with the ultimate ultimate i should say with don fry and tank Abbott. like i was excited for these uh you know tank Abbott versus vitor belfort i was you know i had three months in advance that's not how it is so one is the amount of fights the other thing is with covid i mean we got people dropping out because of covid i mean we think about like i'm not sure which card it is but like misha tate was was the main event and that fight fell out was it this was it, uh, that was this card this yeah, that, yeah okay. that's why that's why you know lad and dumont are the headliner and but it, that was even that was even part B. Like that wasn't the backup plan. The backup plan was Holly Holm. Well, she fell out, and I think hers was an injury, but was maybe it was cold. I don't remember. But then you got injuries, and then also where we're in a weird predicament is we have two pay per views on, you know, I shouldn't say pay per view, numbered UFC events back to back, which normally would be a pay per view. We have them back to back weeks, uh, stacked. Both cards are very stacked. So when you also when you stack a card like that. Well, then there's not many leftovers. So just a little bit of everything. So, but you know what? I, as bad as I, I'm complaining, I still take bad at MMA than no MMA. Absolutely. <laughs> like, we're not the ones who, like, there's a lot of media members who complain and, like, hope there's no event. Like, that's not us. Yeah. Like, I'm still going to watch every second of this fight and then talk yeah. about it two hours afterwards. I'll, I'll I'll be there. I'll I'll, I'll see you. I'll yeah. see you Saturday night. Yeah. Before we get into the card, can I complain about the main event for a second? My complaint is this: I understand the UFC was in a pinch. They had uh, the Misha Tate fight fall through. They had to go to Plan B. Holly Holm was in it. Plan B falls through. They got to go to Plan C. My issue with the main event is that Aspen Lad is getting rewarded for missing weight two weeks ago. Like she missed weight. If, you know, she's forced to move up, but she went from, you know, a main card fight to a main event. Like, I don't think a fighter who misses weight has a, I mean, really, really, if you haven't seen the clip, a really, really scary clip shouldn't be rewarded, like, for botched weight cutting. I, I'm with you on that. And it's not necessarily just out of a sense of, you know, the, the world is, is unfair and she shouldn't be rewarded for failing to meet her professional responsibilities, even though I do wonder if Macy Chasson was offered this fight. That, I'm glad you said that because that was literally what I was going to say next. I'm like, I hope they gave Macy Chasson the first shot at this. No, if Macy turned it down, that's on her. Yeah. But it also puts her in a weird predicament because she was supposed to fight. Now you want to move up. you got to add an extra 10 minutes to the fight. 
that she was prepared. It's a completely different opponent. You know, you're and it's not like you and your opponent's moving up with 15 minutes, you know, from 15 minutes to 25. That uh, your opponent you're facing has been training for 25 minutes this whole time. Like, if it was offered to her, which I don't, it probably wasn't, but if it was, it's still a tough situation to be in. Yeah. It just sucks. But I mean, even more than like whether it's fair to DeMont, whether it's fair to Chasson, like even any of that, my concern is just having her cut weight again two weeks after she was like just on the actual verge of collapse on the scale. And the thing is, yeah, this is 145. But Lad has a big cut even to make 145. Right. This is a woman who, for the Durandami fight, walked into the cage on 160 pounds, and the California State Athletic Commission like threatened never to sanction her at bantamweight again. Yeah, like like even to make 145, she's going to have a, another like significant cut, and it's the, you know, God forbid, the terrible day that we we have our first death in like a high level MMA promotion in a regulated area. I'm not talking about like some, you know, sure. backwoods thing where somebody like is fighting on a stage in a bar, but like at the UFC Bellator level in a regulated area, the first time we have someone die, it's not gonna be from in cage injury. It's gonna be from weight cutting. And so yeah. anything that just encourages this to, to keep happening, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with. I'm uncomfortable with this main event happening, but it's happening and if yeah. any good thing comes out of it, if any good thing comes out of this, I hope it is that Aspen Ladd either wins or if, if she loses, like feels good physically and performs well and just realizes, hey, I should have been at featherweight all along. Yeah. You know, especially coming back after, you know, uh, my knee being blown out. Why don't I just stay at 145? Like yeah. that would be my best possible outcome, win or lose. Yeah. The worst thing would be if somehow she misses weight again at 145 or that she has a bad performance based on not having, you know, a camp for this opponent and and draining your body twice and, you know, all the different things that goes on. And then she gets out-muscled, who's also, Norma DeMont is a, you know, strong 145-pound woman. Out-muscles who, who, her. Who repeatedly failed to make 135. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's right. This is the, the girls who couldn't make weight because she was she was supposed to go against uh, Aaron Blanchfield, if you remember. She missed weight by, like, five pounds. Uh, and Aaron Blanchfield was moving up from a weight. Yeah, Anyways, uh, what I was going to say is, man, she gets overpowered and then she goes she thinks oh i gotta go down to 135 and then it makes it even worse yeah i don't know anyways we, we, we spent enough time i just at least wanted to get the rant out there that i'm not okay with someone being rewarded i think honestly it would have sucked but i would have just made arlowski and and felipe the main event yep that, that, I, I would have been or fine honest, with that i would assign some random 145 pound. if you really wanted norma dumont find some random 145 pound woman There, there are plenty out there. Well, not plenty, but yeah. there are plenty of, of you know, bantamweights. Any one of whom might have stepped up for the paycheck on short notice. That's another. Yeah, that, yeah. Actually, yeah. I'm sure there would have been a 135 pound woman who would willing to step up. So that, yeah. I'm not talking about outside the UFC. Like, yeah, you're right. A random 135 pounder. All right. You ready to talk about these actual fights? Yeah, let's do it. The opening fight of UFC Fight Night 195 is a strawweight matchup between the debuting Estela Nunes and Ariane Carnalosi. Nunes, the 29-year-old Brazilian, is 6-1 with one no contest overall. She is making her delayed UFC debut, uh, having been signed out of one championship all the way back in 2018, promptly failed an out-of-competition drug test, uh, which put her on the shelf. She is now making that debut uh, this Saturday. 
She'll be taking on Carnalosi. The 28-year-old Brazilian is 13-2 overall. She's 1-1 one one since joining the UFC in fall of 2019. She dropped her debut against Angela Hill uh, on a third-round TKO, Dr. Stoppage due to cuts, then bounced back from that this past April at UFC 261, uh, knocking out Na Liang in the second round. Odds favor Carnalosi. She is minus 155. You can get Nunes at plus 135 on the comeback. Keith, I done forgot all about Estela Nunes. Uh, I I remember her pinging my radar when the UFC signed her. She She's one of two fighters on this card whose UFC debut was uh, delayed due to a failed out-of-competition drug test. Uh, this is going to be a, a tough matchup for her. I, for one thing... She's a former Adam weight. Like one, she's a former one championship Adam weight, which is 115 pounds. But she was a former Adam weight, Adam weight, but before that, and she's stepping up to to fight someone in Carnalosi that you and I both think, like pound for pound, relative to size, might be the most jacked human being in the UFC. Ariana Carnalosi is an absolute tank of of a woman. Sorry, Avan, can I interrupt you though? Did Please. you see that girl in the Contender Series this week? I I I. And this is so funny that I'm asking people contender series because usually I'm the contender series expert, but I haven't done any tape study. This I, this is my first year I didn't do the contender series, but there was a girl on it that was wicked ripped. I was like, wow, this girl's challenging Ariana Canalosi. Yeah, I I her name. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I'll look it up while you. She uh, she uh she ended up winning, but she didn't get a contract. Like on paper, Nunes brings a lot of the same things to the table that Angela Hill. Uh, used to beat Carnalosi. Nunez is a Muay Thai striker. She prefers to fight at a deliberate pace, keep the range, like fight from outside using her footwork, her uh, you know her teep to kind of maintain distance. Because Carnalosi, she ran right at Angela Hill, and I mean that's if all you've got is that, like you are tailor made for Angela Hill to like piece you up, which she did. But Angela Hill is bigger. She's a you know more experienced generally good at, at managing range. I don't think Nunez, as someone who will not be especially bigger than Carnalosi, is, is going to have those avenues to victory. Uh, I don't know if Carnalosi's a, a finished product. You know, uh, she's still just kind of a, a charge forward with punches woman. She's willing to take the fight to the ground. She's also happy to slug it out on the feet. Uh, you know, I still think she's going to stumble against more experienced fighters who know what they want to do. Like Carnalosi's plan is still just kind of like run forward and smash. But I think that's going to be good enough against, against Nunez. I would have favored Carnalosi against the, the version of Nunez that was in her last couple of one championship fights. And I can't imagine she's gotten better since then. Like there, there's always the possibility, as you mentioned that a fighter in their mid twenties that takes two years off, they come back a substantially improved fighter but there's also the possibility that she's just the the same fighter she was and just, you know, had that time on the shelf. I've seen Carnalosi recently, and I still think that at the UFC level, she's going to be good enough to smash women that she physically outmatches. Nunes falls into that category. So give me Carnalosi by a second-round TKO, probably on the ground. It's so funny. I'm looking at Carnalosi's record, and I, you know, pop over to Angela Hill, and... uh Shout out to Angela Hill. I mean, the talk about a girl who's being active. Like, I felt like that fight was just happened because it did. Just, it was only two fights ago for Ariana Carnalosi. Well, Angela Hill has had six fights since, but she's been scheduled eleven times since. It's uh, uh, just, just, just she. Cowboy she's one of the kind. 
She she mm-hmm. truly is one of a kind. I mean, she's she'll she'll never be a UFC champion, but she's like the people's champion. Like, yep. um. Anyways, uh, Maria Silva was the name of the the fighter I was talking about. Go figure. A Brazilian girl's name is Maria Silva. That's uh, why I couldn't remember it. It's just yeah. straight out of the Brazilian fighter name generator. You <laughs> yeah. know, uh, her nickname should be Pitbull. Yep. Um, uh. So yeah, kind of. Let's see. As you talk about, like, we love her because of figured out bench press both of us uh she's she's very aggressive on the feet she just charges forward like a bull once again the in the pocket throw her boxing big power shots i said last time she reminds me of the poor woman's jv version of jessica andrage uh, she has the high output which is really surprising for such a power puncher of someone who throws as hard like her her cardio really impresses me I think she's intelligent. She goes down to the body. The one thing I didn't like, though, is that she really struggled to cut off the cage, and I think that was a difference in the Angela Hill fight is, is she couldn't catch her. And then she was losing clinch battles against Angela Hill, which uh, Angela Hill is a very underrated like Muay Thai practitioner, so that happens. But, too, like, I was just surprised that she was getting out-muscled for someone who has a physique that she has. Uh, again, UFC debut against a true – veteran who's like an upper echelon in the weight class angel hill too like that's a tough test for anybody uh, but i like that she goes to the body hard calf kicks um, hard body kicks um one thing that i am concerned is like i said she she struggled with the speed of angel but also she's had a long layoff and we found out that she's had like back problems which ruins fighters careers like say what you want tito ortiz was never the same after like neck and back surgeries and that she's had two slip discs in her back which is really concerning, especially for someone who, one, uses their power, uses forward movement so much. Uh, now, Nunes, she's had a three-year layoff. I tend to like her more than you do. She's a she's a Muay Thai striker. She's a two-time world champion in Muay Thai. I think she's elusive. I like that she uses feints, both her hands and her feet. Good jab. Uh, she can strike while backing up, which is gone. she's going to need to do in this fight because I don't care how much she's throwing at Kanalosi. Kanalosi's going to first force her back on her back foot, forcing her towards the cage. Um, I love her her switch high kick that she does. She'll she'll switch real quick and then come up high with it. Uh, she really turns over her hips on her kicks, so she generates good power. I like her push kicks. She was dropped in her last fight. Um, and it, it was scored a knockdown. I think it was more of a slip. Uh, strong in the clinch, good framing. So she's uh, good knees up the middle. She's not much of a grappler. Uh, you know, she comes from a Muay Thai background. She was was submitted in against Angela Lee, which is <laughs> in hindsight has aged really well. Like that's not a bad loss. You mentioned that she's was an atom weight, but she's she's big though. Like she's five four, so she's not you know she's not Tisha Torres five feet tall or four eleven. She's actually bigger than Angela Hill. Um, not that Angela Hill is a gigantic story, but I mean, she she's a taller fighter of these two. She's not going to be the stronger fighter. As far as prediction goes, I think this is a great fight. I think it's one of the best fights of the card. Like I'm looking over the card and I'm like, what if I now? Obviously, I understand why it's buried in the card. You got two lesser known names. I, I don't expect it to be up, but fights that I'm actually intrigued for. There's probably one other fight. Actually, two fights. There's two fights in the card that I'm more intrigued for than this one. Uh, you got a bull versus a matador, tank versus sniper. The back injury concerns me, but the long layoff for Nunez, the UFC debut, uh, concerns me. I like Estella's poise, though. 
I think she's going to have to be on her, you know, backing up. She's going to have to strike while backing up. She's going to have to use lateral movement. Uh, but I think she's got the speed, and I think she's going to pull the upset. I was, I was messaged last week probably because I was so distracted doing the live show that I didn't pick an upset special. So guys, I'm not going to disappoint our our listeners. I'm going to do it right out the gate. Give me noons and an upset by decision. Over a girl that I love in Cardellosi. And the reason why I'm saying this, I love both these girls. I think they're both great. But I, I, I want to take news. There we I go. Know, we have say. the upset special right out the gate. We have some disagreement right out of the gate. It's going to be a live one. We're making the best we possibly can out of this very questionable card. And we will soldier on uh, with the prelims. Next up on the UFC Vegas 40 prelims, it is a bantamweight matchup. It is Mongolia versus Mississippi. It is Dana Batgari versus Brandon Davis. Uh, Batgari, the 32-year-old Mongolian, is 9-2 overall. He's 2-1 in the UFC. He dropped his debut back in August of 2019 to uh, Alateng Haley. Has bounced back from that with uh, back-to-back wins over Guido Canetti and Kevin Natividad, both by first-round knockouts. Uh, most recently, the Natividad fight was uh, just this past April at UFC 261. He will welcome back to the UFC uh, Davis. The 31-year-old Mississippian is 14-8 and eight overall. He is 2-5 and five in the UFC after joining out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. So went 2-5, and five, uh, was dropped by the UFC, went back to Mississippi, won four straight in Gulf Coast MMA, and gets the call back up. Uh, I'm going to toss this to you for your pick first, but first thing I'm going to point out is there's some disparity in strength of schedule between these two guys. Like Davis made it to two and five in the UFC back in an era when that didn't happen very often, mostly because (laughs) he never got a softball. Like his two wins in the UFC were Steven Peterson and Randy Costa, neither of whom is a bad fighter. Like neither of them is ranked right now, but neither of them has a losing record in the UFC. But yeah. the guys he lost Randy to, like, Costa was deceiving though. Randy Costa took that fight and his debut in like days notice. I would yeah. take Randy Costa to win now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, but yeah, good, Karen, it's still a good win. Yeah, dude, his losses, Zabit Magomed Sharipov, Giga Chikadze, Enrique Barzola, like he's lost to killers. Uh, like he was always better than his record in the UFC, you know, Again, went back down to Mississippi, like clean house, and he's getting the call back. Then you <laughs> compare that to Bakari. I mean, dude, Guido Canetti and Kevin Natividad, are, those those are some well-manicured bounce-back fights, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and to his credit, he got a split decision against Jakatsi. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, think about that. You named – it's not often Giga Jakatsi is not the hardest fight on the schedule. Yeah. There you go. Like <laughs> – like, I, I mean, I thought Chikaze, like, beat him fair and square, but it, it was a competitive yeah. fight. And, like, Zabit is one of the most impossible fighters in the UFC to look good against. He had to fight him, too. But, I mean, here they meet. Bakari is the the favorite. He's minus 185. Davis, uh, you can get him at plus 160. Keith, you know, uh, Davis might be better than his UFC record looked. Bakari might not be as good as his UFC record looks. Do they meet in the middle, or, or is this one uh, going to go the way of the Mongolian? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at his his last two losses. He got him kicked out of the UFC. They both were split decisions too. <laughs> you know, like he yep. he wins, he gets one other scorecard on either Jakatsky or uh, Kung Ho Kang, and he's he's probably, he was probably with state of the UFC, and we'd have ten fights or something right now. Um, yeah, the first thing you just said is is he better than his UFC record? Yeah, I think so, and I think he showed that since he left the UFC, like he didn't face killers, but 
I I watched his fights outside the UFC, and he looked really good. Um, again, much lower level, <laughs> much lower level than Giga Jakate. But uh, you know, he did what you're supposed to do. You go to the UFC, you go on a nice little run, four wins, back in there. I think Brandon Davis is is more tough than skilled, but sometimes that's a like that's what you need. Like sometimes it's some guys there's there's some guys who are really skilled who aren't tough. Now that's a blanket statement. Every single fighter who's in the UFC is tough. I mean on the scale of UFC, that's what I mean by that. Right. Uh, before someone says, "Oh, don't call a UFC fighter not tough," of course they are. They 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 fight the baddest dudes on the planet for a living. Uh, but Brandon Davis, he marches forward. He's he's very aggressive, high output. I mean that's all his game is high output. Uh, his last fight, he went to the body, showed his intelligence. Bo- body kick knockout is how he finished his last fight. Chopping leg kicks. Uh, does, he's one of the fighters who does check leg kicks and makes it a priority. Uh, some some holes defensively. He he stands tall. He's very hittable. Uh, he keeps his chin high. Uh, he he's not known for his wrestling, but he will look to wrestle even just to win rounds. Uh, but he does struggle to stop takedowns. He was taken down uh, six out of his eight UFC fights. Kung Ho K, Zabit, Barzola, Steven Peterson, Kyle Boschnack all took him down. Uh, I mean, I think like Boschnack and, and Steven Peterson aren't really known for the wrestling. They still took him down. Uh, but he's got really good cardio. Like he's going to go hard 15 minutes. He's going to make it a dog fight the 15 minutes. Another thing about Brandon Davis, like I just think of a veteran. And then I look at his age and he's only 31. Like obviously he's not young. I just expect him to be older than that. I expect him to be like 36 or something. Like he's kind of in his prime, and I kind of thought he was past his prime. Now move over to Bakare. Uh, good on his feet. He it really stands out to me. Good speed. He he has really he has an in and out game where he blitzes in, attacks, and then he uses good footwork to get out before you counter. Um, his straight right is his money maker, but he's got a nice check left hook, nice left high kick. Uh, his straight right, I, I wrote it down twice, so it must be really good. Uh, I, I I went back a couple of fights ago. I believe it was the – I think it was the Guido Canelo. I mean, he got back-to-back knockout, first-round knockout win, so he's showing, he's really showing off his power. But I think it was the Guido Canetti fight that I was watching, and, and Daniel Cormier was commenting about his, his like feet battle, like battling with the feet. Is he something that – um, he's got really good footwork and he's always winning. So he's lining his punch up. He's lining his, that's why his right hand is so deadly. Um, and, and, and that's something that shows a lot of maturity. Uh, and then he's showing off his power back to back. knockout losses. He hasn't shown much in the grappling. And that's actually an area where I think Brandon Davis could come out. And, and like I said, I think he's got underrated wrestling and he might want to look for that. And that might be his best Avenue. I think this is a tough fight. Like Brandon Davis is is, is a dog, and he's got to over. He, like if he sh- if he overwhelms Baccarat with volume, like that wouldn't surprise me at all. I just think he's going to have a hard time catching Baccarat because Baccarat very fast. I think he hits harder. Uh, I think he's he's a hand speed faster. But I also mean like his lateral movement. Davis has never been knocked out, so I say he reaches decision. But I think Baccarat's going to land the cleaner, harder shots. Have Davis hurt a couple times. Give me Baccarat by decision, but. Based on Davis's style and his output, I think it's going to be a war. So I gave you my upset pick of the first night. I'm going to make this my fight of the night. So make sure you tune in early. I think it starts at 4 o'clock. Tune in early because uh, this, this is my fight of the night pick. Yeah, I, I love what you point out uh, about the disparity in, in foot speed and just kind of uh, quality of footwork. Because I, I agree. I think uh, Davis is, I mean, his best route to victory here would be to see if he can get Bakary down 
uh, on the ground. Th- that's been, I, I mean, he, he, he knocked out Kevin Natividad before Natividad even really got a chance to get it going. But I was interested to see if Natividad could get him down. You know, he's a good wrestler, a persistent wrestler, uh, <clears throat> and a really quick guy, but that thing was over in 45 seconds. But all the way back to his UFC debut, uh, Alateng Haley, it, I mean, it was really anyone's fight through two rounds, and Alateng Haley won the last round by taking him down, getting inside control, and at least doing enough damage and keeping him from getting back up to just basically take that round. That's a route that's open to Davis. You point out he's probably a little bit of an underrated wrestler. He should be a significantly kind of bigger and stronger guy in the cage. Uh, but if he elects to just do his swarming forward with punches thing, yeah, Bakri's going to like cut angles, dance around him, and just and just pity pat him up all, all night. Uh, I'd love to see Davis commit to uh, trying to get this fight to the ground. I don't know if he will or or if he will until too late. So I, I am, even though I think Davis belongs in the UFC and I hope he sticks around, uh, give me Bakari by decision in this one as well. But yeah, it should be a real fun fight. The UFC Fight Night 195 prelims keep on trucking with a featherweight matchup between Nate Landwehr and Ludovic Klein. Landwehr, the 33-year-old Tennessee native, is 14-4 and overall. He's 1-2 and since joining the UFC uh, out of uh, M1 Challenge, of all things. Uh, he has lost to Herbert Burns and Julian Arosa, both, both by first-round knockout. Uh, those are sandwiched around a unanimous decision win over the eternally tough Darren Elkins. Uh, that most recent fight, the Arosa fight, was back in February at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis. He'll be taking on Klein. The 26-year-old Slovakian is 17-3 and overall. He is 1-1 one one, uh, since joining the UFC out of Central European promotions like Octagon MMA and XFN. Uh, he won his UFC debut with a first-round head kick knockout of Shane Young then came back this May at UFC on ESPN Rodriguez versus Watterson and dropped a unanimous decision to Mike Trezano. Uh, Klein is uh, one of the bigger favorites on the card. He is currently out there at minus 300, uh, landware available at plus 250 uh, as the underdog. Uh, Keith, who have you got in this one? And uh, are, you, are you still buying in uh, to the hype on Ludovic Klein? Yeah, I am because I thought he won against Mike Trezano. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a great performance, and I I, I actually thought it was a, like a letdown performance for him. But I still thought he won. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I didn't check MMA decisions, but uh, I don't know if you submitted your scorecard. I know you don't always submit your scorecard, but I remember the majority of people gave it to Klein. Um, Landwehr was a guy who also had a lot of hype when he first came to UFC. That kind of has fallen off too. Uh, Landwehr. I, he he's a he's a fun action fighter. Like he's he's it's funny because we I feel like it's been a theme a lot lately. Just by the the layout of some of the fighters that we've had on recently, we've had a lot of aggressive fighters. Like Conalosi, someone's super aggressive. Like Landwehr might outmatch her and how aggressive he is. Uh, high output just keeps coming. I said last time I compared him to like a Diego Sanchez, uh, like the wild the when Diego was just running at people. He's insanely tough, just keeps coming. Uh, no setups, not a lot of defense at all. Uh, just just keep touching, throwing behind a jab, nice hard calf kicks. Uh, but he's got a lot of technical flaws. I mean, I go back to Darren Elkins' fight. He was squaring up, he's squaring up his feet to launch punches at him. Um, he's got a, a you know, wrestling backwards, so he's strong in the clinch. 
showed good takedown defense against Darren Elkins, but he's very hittable based on his style because he he, he throws defense out the window. Uh, if you take him down, I, I've been impressed with his getup game. Uh, he does have good sub defense too. If you take him down, and he's got great cardio to go hard 15 minutes. Now Ludwig Klein, uh, Southpaw plus athlete, I'd say light on his feet, uses a lot of feints to his game very technically sound uh, a lot of up and down feints he's more he's more of a, this kind of feints than you know your shoulder rolls uh great jab good good power really steps into his shots uh the legs are a real asset of his where he's throwing powerful leg kicks uh throwing up the high kick i love that what he does about his and, and it's just a general um something i've noticed high kicks is such a great weapon in mma because even when you don't land, you like either one, one or it actually can hurt your opponent when they block it. But also, like you shift your opponent. You, if there's a live crowd, not like there was in this one, but if there's a live crowd, the crowd always gets super excited. They they like pop when you so it always it, it sounds so much better. It's you know it should a blocked high kick should be the same as a blocked punch, but it doesn't it doesn't get the same reaction. It, it, anyways, but back to this, he throws a high kick, um, and what I like. Well, I don't think the Trezano fight was a good showing. He showed improved offensive wrestling where he was getting takedowns against Trezano. Um, as far as prediction goes, I only see one avenue of victory for Landwehr, and that is to tire Klein out with constant pressure. We've talked about the guy backing up is working harder than the guy moving forward. Uh, it just, I mean, go to a track, run one lap, running, jogging forward, then do one backwards, and you tell me which one you're more tired, <laughs> you know? That's but that's basically the what I'm saying with this. Like you, you run backwards, it tires you out. So if Landwehr can get him to back up and really and and or just wrestle him a lot and make him, uh, you know, scramble, that could tire him out. But that's it. I I think I don't think Klein is the guy you chase. I think he's too technically sound on the feet. Landwehr, to his credit, uh, we love aggressive guys, but he almost has it like turned up too fast, like. You know, when you have that, you have the setting on the lawnmower, and it's like that mid set, mid is good. You turn it up too loud, it's it, it it's no, you can't. You got to turn it about that five. Don't go all the way up to like the eight. Uh, that that's where Landwehr should be. I think Landwehr runs into a big shot, and I think I'm gonna go with Klein to put him out. I'm gonna say it happens. I'm gonna say second round. So give me Klein by second round knockout. I'm with you, except that I'm actually going to go first round. You know, Landwehr, he is aggressive to a fault, as you pointed out, and he is susceptible to getting caught early. You know, he, it's almost like the Cowboy Cerrone thing where just he never looks like he's really warmed up, you know, back, backstage. And, you know, sometimes against a sufficiently aggressive and opportunistic opponent, you know, Cowboy just never gets out of the gate and he's you know he's over before uh before it starts Lambert's similar except that you know he's like i'm gonna warm up by, by running straight at you with all my punches and as you pointed out Klein is not the guy you want to do that to especially because even though you know obviously he has a great high kick he's not the like early edson barboza where you're like okay you just need to crowd the kicker because he's also good at tagging people with uh stuff moving forward in like phone booth range I think he's going to catch Landwehr with something in the first round. Maybe it's a high kick that starts the ball rolling downhill uh, like it was in the – I can't remember which fight. Or maybe he just tags him with a knee or a, a nice you know, counter uh, right as Landwehr charges forward. But give me Ludovic Klein uh, to get back on track 
with a first round uh, knockout of Nate Landwehr. And you were asking before uh, on MMA decisions, it was something like 12 to three scored it for Klein over Trezano. Uh, you scored it for uh, Klein. Two of Sherdog's official scores that night did. Uh, Jay Petri was the one uh, dissenting guy who gave it to Trezano. And I love Jay, but he was wrong that time. Well, I mean, it was a really close. I mean, it, yeah, it, no, it, was, it was a close fight. It, and it, it all swung pretty much on one round. Yeah, anytime we rag on Jay, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah. But anytime <laughs> we rag on Jay, we're joking. All right. We now head down to the flyweight division for what will be a uh, record-making uh, appearance if it ends up happening. It is Luana Carolina and Lupita Godinez. And if the name Lupita Godinez sounds familiar to you, it is because she fought last Saturday at UFC <laughs> Fight Night 194. And uh, I bought her name like 40 times, too. That's why. There between you go. The, between the recap and the preview show. That's why. Uh, <clears throat> with originally scheduled opponent Sajari Eubanks withdrawing due to COVID protocols, Godinez is stepping in and will appear against Carlina on a seven-day turnaround. That will break the modern UFC record that was set last summer by Kamzat Shemaev, who fought um, Reese McKee and forget who the other guy was, uh, 10 days apart. Uh, this will break that record, assuming Godinez makes it uh, through the weigh-ins and to the cage. Seven-day turnaround. Godinez, the 28-year-old Mexican by way of Canada, is 6-1 and one overall. She is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Uh, she dropped her debut uh, via split decision to Jessica Penne at UFC on ESPN. Whitaker versus Gastelum back in April. She fought last weekend against Silvana Gomez-Juarez. Uh, getting a first-round armbar at UFC Fight Night, Dern versus Rodriguez. Uh, she turns right back around. She's going to take on uh, Carolina. The 28-year-old Brazilian is 7-2 and two overall. She's 2-1 and one since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. Uh, she has beaten Priscilla Cachoeira and Poliana Botelho, uh, both by decision, those uh, sandwiched around a first-round, extremely painful-looking submission loss via knee bar to Ariane Lipsky. Uh, her most recent appearance, that Botelio fight, was in May at UFC on ESPN, Reyes versus Prohaska. Uh, despite the short turnaround, uh, Godinez is almost as big a favorite as uh, Eubanks was setting up to be. She is minus 285 to uh, be successful in her uh Quick turnaround appearance. Carlina's out there at plus 225. And I've got to say, I, I kind of agree. Uh, Godinez took next to no damage in that fight. In fact, I, you know, I, I was watching it on the plane, actually, flying from uh, Salt Lake City back to Houston. I don't know what the official strike counts were, but I didn't see uh, Silvana Gomez-Juarez land anything of note on her, not a mark on her, didn't look to get especially tired. So un unless... Making the repeat weight cut uh, really, really saps her. I think this is her fight to win. Uh, she's, you know, like she's a deceptively good athlete. Like she's like she. I, I didn't, I didn't tag her as a plus athlete in her, uh, in her debut against Jessica Penne, even though like she looked fine in in LFA. But now I think that's just because of Jessica Penne's like magical power to turn every fight into a Jessica Penny fight. It, it's just, it's, she's a great, like Penny's a great neutralizer always has been. And you know, if you are a plus, you know, athlete, uh, you know, a fast twitch, you know, bouncy athlete, she's going to slow the fight down. Uh, just, you know, long and rangy on the feet, uh, very capable of taking care of herself on the ground. She just, she was a tough debut opponent to look good against for Godinez. 
I think the Juarez fight, I mean, it might be taken to the other extreme, but that's closer to what Lupita Godinez really is, uh, an aggressive woman with uh, finishing ability on the feet as well as on the ground. I think she's definitely UFC flyweight material for the foreseeable future. I, I don't know what her ceiling is, but I'm not sure that Luana Carolina is uh, UFC material. I mean, beating Priscilla Cachoeira and Poliana Botelho just and not really a dominant performance either time doesn't tell me much. Uh, I expect that Lupita Godinez is going to win two UFC fights uh, seven days apart here. Uh, give me Godinez by decision. Uh, ben, do you have any concern about her moving up a weight? Not especially. No. Um, so I was going to take Sajara Eubanks to beat Carolina. I thought that was a really favorable matchup. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put Godinez on hold now. I'll talk about Carolina for a second. Um, so Carolina, yeah, she's an experienced Muay Thai practitioner. She's a long and lengthy outboxer, likes to fight from range, long strikes, long jab. Team kicks up the middle, hard leg kicks. Uh, she uses her height well in the plum clinch, uh, where she can you know reach to get the back of the neck and then throw off knees pretty easily, um, blast knees inside. But her takedown defense is non-existent. It's really bad. She's really bad grappler. Now, Godinez, uh, I have I have more concern about moving up than you do, being that she's only five two and then she's going against a girl who um, I, didn't, I didn't have the I don't have the height of Carolina, but she's going to be much bigger. Yeah. Um, the you, we talked about Aspen Lad like cutting weight, and Godinez is she's not a big strawweight like from as far as I know, it's like she doesn't struggle to make the weight class. But then also, it still takes a toll on you, even going up ten pounds because like the strategy is when you make weight, is suddenly to like overhydrate yourself and hydrate way up so. You're, she probably come fight night is over 125. Now, I'm assuming she's going to make it fairly easily. Uh, but, you know, it's still a little concerning to put that. We don't, we don't know what kind of effects that has on someone's body. But like you said, good thing she didn't take any damage. Uh, a lot of my notes could be similar to what I said a week ago. She's really good output. She's a wrestle boxer, good boxing. She marches forward, fast hands, good footwork, uh, great right hand. Uh, you said that you think she's a plus athlete. I agree with that. I think she's a good athlete. Um, good good power. She really steps into shots. Um, good takedowns. I go back to the Jessica Penne fight, a fight that I thought uh, – no, actually, I think I scored it for Penne, but that was close. But Jessica Penne, um, like she threw around Jessica Penne with her wrestling. Go back to last week's fight, Sylvania Gomez-Suarez, she threw her around. Um, I – she has solid takedown defense if you take it down. And she's sort of really slick BJJ with the belly down on bar in the scramble. What I love, what I what jumped out to me most is is besides her speed, which it really showed off last week, is I love that she boxes when you expect her to wrestle and then she wrestles when you expect her to box. I love that about her. Uh, even though I <laughs> continually was mispronouncing her name, uh, Godinez is one of my favorite fighters that recently added to the UFC. Uh, as you mentioned, she's small f- for strawweight. Moving up to flyweight is concerning, uh, especially against a bigger Carolina. But that's about it. Like, I'm worried about if she can get around the range of Carolina. I'm worried, obviously, if she gets caught with something coming in. But 
I expect her to take Carolina down early like she did against Suarez. She she likes to use her wrestling. That's the weakness of Carolina. Uh, it, she made it a priority. I guess like a good grappler against Jessica Penny. So I expect her to make it a priority against a terrible grappler like Carolina. I think she picks her up, takes her down, bashes in the ground. I'm all in on Godinez. I think Godinez is going to get another first-round stoppage. I'm going to say this time I ground a pound and instantly she's on my bulls, probably number one if she gets win back-to-back first-round stoppages in within a week. Yep. We now head to the welterweight division, and it is Danny Roberts versus Ramazan Ameev. Roberts, the 34-year-old Brit, is 17-5 and five overall. He's 6-4 and four since joining the UFC out of Cage Warriors Fighting Championship. It has been almost two years since we've seen him in the cage. Uh, his last fight was back in November 2019, a second-round TKO of Zalim Imadaev back at UFC Fight Night, Magomed Sharipov versus Cater. That snapped a two-fight losing streak against uh, Michelle Pereira and Claudio Silva. Uh, but uh, at any rate, the man they call Hot Chocolate is back. And waiting to welcome him back is Ameev. The 34-year-old Dagestani is 20-4 and four overall. He's 5-1 and one in the UFC, having beaten uh, Sam Alvey, Alberto Mina, Stefan Sekulic, Nicholas Stolza, and David Zavada. His only loss in the UFC, uh, a competitive decision loss to Anthony Rocco Martin back in November of 2019. Uh, he's on a two-fight winning streak since then over Stolza and Zavada. He is a strong favorite to keep that streak going as he is minus 260 right now. Robert's out there around plus 215 or plus 220. I got to say, I, I'm going to turn this one over to you uh, first, Keith, but su- surprised the UFC made this fight. I mean, you've got a good fighter who's generally very exciting to watch in Danny Roberts and a very good fighter who's generally dreadful to watch in Ramazan Ameev. It's a bad matchup for Roberts, and they booked it nonetheless. Like, uh, this this has whatever the opposite of fight of the night is written all over it and just a, a bad look for, you know, a pretty exciting guy in Roberts. Uh, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of when I, I, I did this matchup. The only thing that is more surprising than this matchup is I, I think you mentioned that Ameev beat Sam Alvey. I, you're telling me Sam Alvey has lost fights recently? Because that's really surprising to me. I bet he was really angry and That's didn't right. think he lost. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're getting way off the rails, but yeah. How about the how about the change of personality of Sam Alvey? <laughs> Coming in, singing, dancing, smiling Sam Alvey, and then cussing and swearing on his way out. Like <laughs> I, I love that he like I, I don't want him to fight in the UFC anymore because he's he's holding a roster. But then I still do because, uh, uh, I mean, he's extremely boring in the cage. Uh, but it's still funny watching smiling Sam Alvey cussing people out as he's walking out of the cage pissed off that he didn't win at, didn't win a, a fight that he threw four punches in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, back to this fight. I think it's probably because I was more excited to talk about Sam Alvey. Um, yeah, imagine like, like Danny Roberts, like you said, it's someone extremely excited. Like, imagine if they put him against like Nico Price. Like, mm-hmm. wouldn't you be so, like, if they had Nico Price right now, they'd be like, I'd be like, oh my God, what a great fight this is going to be. Or you get, throw him Mike Perry rematch, you know? Uh, but instead like, he gets me. Like, did they just look at him and be like, the the black British guy, is that Leon Edwards? Yeah, let's give him, like, just, <laughs> like, they, they forgot who they got here. Hey, like, you know, th- hey, let's be honest. If Danny Roberts wins this fight, he's on a two fight winning streak, and he has a better shot to get a title shot than Leon Edwards does. 
anyways, back to yep. breaking news. Leon Edwards got another fight before getting a title shot. Um, uh, Amiv, he's your classic wrestle boxer. Uh, he's on the feet. He stays come back. He throws hard. Uh, he, he attacks with combinations. Has good timing on his overhand right. Um, he's heavy on his front foot, so he generates some good power, but he does leave himself open to get leg kicked and doesn't check leg kicks. But he kind of... Uh, um, he separates his wrestling and his striking. He doesn't blend them together. Either he's striking or he's wrestling. And his wrestling, he's got good entries. I mean, this is a master, international master of combat, uh, combat sports sambo. So he, he's got the accolades of of these top Russian fighters. Um, you would assume that he, he like, well, hold on. Even though he, even though he's got decent entries, you get a lot of like missed shots, grinding against the fence, boring is that's why we're talking about um, the he, he doesn't. I'm trying to think. What, I'm trying to describe him. Like he's even though he, he's got all these accolades, like it's still gonna be a close fight somehow because like he he tends to like fight down to his opponents. It seems like. Like Davis Water seemed like that seemed like such a good matchup for Amiv, and it was still a really close fight. Um, and I think Zawada is a little better than we've given credit for, but just the point, like Amiv should be so much better than he is, and he's been taken down by lesser wrestlers. Now, moving to Danny Roberts, really big for the weight class. Uh, that's the first thing that stands out to me. He's just he's a big dude, uh, southpaw, but he does switch stances a lot. Good lateral movement. He's got fast hands. Um, he tends to. He's a southpaw that has a, what I always like to say, the Dan Henderson in him, where he's got he gets a good punch. He's got his left hand. Now he just keeps throwing it over and over again, kind of telegraphs a little bit. But he's got a nice snap on his shots. Um, he showed in his last fight he's got power to put you out if you if you make a mistake. Though he can be a little loopy and a little wild with his strikes, he needs to clean that up a little bit. Uh, he loves if he goes to the south southpaw stance and you're in an orthodox stance, he loves the body kick when you're you know the cross stance from each other. He doesn't handle pressure too well. Um, Medayev was having success against Daniel Roberts early with just pressure back and forcing him back. Um, he was doing well until he, he wasn't doing well when he was unconscious. But one, the biggest thing I I dislike about Danny Roberts and his striking is that he pillars instead of slips. It's just a it's just a, a defensive technique that I've I've never really thought transitions well in MMA simply because pillaring really. Uh, the key to pillaring is you have these big boxing gloves and you can kind of hide behind the boxing gloves. That's why it doesn't work well in MMA as much. You kind of need to slip and rip more of a style. Um, but due to his size, he's he's pretty strong in the clinch. He will wrestle himself. Like He's known for striking, but he's not a terrible wrestler. Um, not much of a top control guy, but, you know, if he takes you dead on, like, you know, still exchanges. But bad takedown defense. I mean, he was taken down in six of ten UFC fights. Uh, but he's hard to hold down. He's got pretty good at scrambling. Uh, another concern I have with Dana Roberts is he's taken a lot of damage over the years. Like I go back to, uh, like all the way back to like the Mike Perry fight. That's like a fight he's taken a lot of damage. But to his credit, um, and I don't know if I shouldn't say to his credit, but to what's the word I'm looking for? In defense, he's been out a lot, so he's had time to recover in those fights. As far as prediction goes, like I said, me fights down to his opponents, which made me really, really, really badly want to pick Danny Roberts and upset. Amiv strikes more than he should, and if he does, 
like Danny Ramos can put you out. Uh, however, yeah, I think Roberts has a speed advantage. I think he has a power advantage. Uh, I think he's about a technically sound striker, even though I don't think he's a very technically sound striker. I think he's more of a, a good athlete. The issue with this fight is Amiv has such a massive gap in the wrestling. And if Amiv, just, if Amiv came to me and said, I'm going to wrestle, I'd take him as the easiest pick on the entire card. But I don't know if he will. Like, I don't know if he'll wrestle enough. I think Amiv's going to give some scares. I think Danny Roberts might wobble him a couple times. But I think Amiv will wrestle enough to get a just get a Amiv split decision. This guy wins again, but he's not that good showing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on all of this, right down to the really really wanting to pick Roberts. If it weren't for the two year layoff, I I'd probably just go for it outright, even as the like you know two to one or or greater underdog. Yeah, uh, you know, Ramazan it, It's interesting. Uh, how a guy who comes up with the same basic skill set as, you know, your your cookie cutter Dagestani fighter, you know, you come from like the the sambo and and wrestling background and you you kind of pick up the striking elements that work for you. How different his game is than a lot of those guys, you know. And you know, if it was easy to come up through that kind of system and just be an instant world beater, everyone would be Khabib Nurmagomedov, but you know, he was a special athlete on top of what well, I say, I say was like he's 50 years old somewhere. He's still the best lightweight in the world. He's just you know, off, <laughs> off, you know, taking pictures he, for his. He Instagram. might be the best fighter in the world. Yeah, he, he might be the best fighter in the world, period, right now. And he's just off do, doing his thing. But uh, MAF does not, does not have any of that. And I think that's part of the reason why his takedown approach just doesn't result in as many clean takedowns. As you know, an Islam Makachev or uh, or a Khabib Nurmagomedov, it's why he ends up mashing people against the the cage. You know, like just the the first shot doesn't work, second shot doesn't work. He ends up clinched. They end up backed up into the cage, and well, there goes the rest of that round. They're they're going to be touching the cage for the remaining you know three minutes and forty five seconds of this round. Uh, yeah, there's every chance that Roberts could just one to take his head clean off, or or just nail him with a nasty uh, body kick. You know, and, and just fold him in, in half, especially because I may have like, you know, he hangs out too long in the feet while not throwing enough volume. But yeah, again, with all the question marks over Roberts and the long absence, I, I expect this is going to be at least two rounds out of three of just, you know, cage mashing and, and slow motion takedown attempts opposite of the fight of the night and uh, a, a cautious uh, pick for Ramazan. I may have by decision. The top prelim at UFC Vegas 40 is a middleweight matchup between Andrew Sanchez and Bruno Silva. Sanchez, the 33-year-old uh, Missourian, is 12-6 and six overall. He is 5-4 and four since joining uh, the UFC out of the old uh, RFA before it became half of LFA. Uh, fought most recently in January at UFC 257, dropping a third-round TKO to uh, Mahmoud Muradov. He's taking on Silva. The 32-year-old Brazilian is 20-6 and six overall. He's 1-0 in the UFC. And uh, like Estela Nunes, uh, was signed by the UFC all the way back in 2019 or maybe late 2018. And he promptly failed an out-of-competition drug test, which then shelved him. Uh, so he was out for uh, 2019 and all of 2020 uh, before coming back uh, this June for his, uh, his long-awaited debut. He is the slight favorite here. He's minus 135. Uh, Sanchez plus 115 as the slight underdog. 
I, I, I love how the, you know, USADA just snatched Bruno Silva right out of the gate. They saw the deltoids on this man and say, hey, wait up, Brazil. Let, let, let's put you on, on the shelf for it for a year or two, you know, before you get in here. And he's another one that I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten all about. And I picked against him when he fought Wellington Terman back in June, just because, hey, you know what? If you've been gone for two years, it was because of a PED bust and you turned 30 while you were gone. I'm not going to pick you to be as good or better than, than when you left. Like that, you know, I'm, I just chose the wait and see approach and picked Terman to beat him, even though Terman is a, yeah, he's a borderline UFC level middleweight himself. I was wrong. Bruno Silva looked fantastic. He, uh, regardless of, of how he got there before or how he gets there now, he is a strong, fast, elite athlete. Uh, <clears throat> he, not the niftiest striker, but he has fast hands and everything, like, throws everything really hard. That was good enough to lamp Wellington Terman in, inside of a round. And he's going up against someone in Sanchez that, like, I had higher hopes for Sanchez when he came to the UFC. It, it's hard to believe that he's only got, this is only his 10th UFC fight because it feels like, man, he's been in the UFC since, like, before there was an LFA. Like, he was an RFA champ, like, all the way back in 2015. But uh, he's been prone to injury, and he's fought basically, like, once a year, you know, three times every two years. Never really been able to build up, you know, much in the way of, uh, of momentum and Sanchez is kind of the opposite of Silva. He He's not a plus athlete. He's always seemed kind of slow and plodding. Uh, he has good skills. Like he's, he's solid everywhere. He has good offense on, on the, the ground as well as on the feet, but he's always been pretty susceptible to his opponent's offense offense. Like, you know, uh, I think three of his four UFC losses have been by finish. And the, I think this fight is just going to uh, get the hype train cranked back up for, for Silva even more. Um, I think he's going to come out, catch Sanchez with something early. Uh, you know, give me uh, Bruno Silva by first round uh, TKO, not because he's that much better than Sanchez, but just because uh, the matchup in their approach to fighting and the difference in athleticism is really going to be telling. So, Ben, who, what baby would be stronger? A baby dinosaur or the baby that was made from Bruno Silver and and uh, the, what's the girl's name in the open? Uh, oh, Estella Nunez? No, no, our, our Ariana Conalosi. If they Conalosi? had a baby, Conalosi and Bruno Silva had a baby, like would that baby be stronger or would a baby dinosaur be stronger? I think probably the the Silva Carnalosi baby it would be like a, a circus strongman baby that would be like lifting <laughs> the, the big shoulders? barbell that's like bending. Yeah, the, the shoulders on that. Yeah. Game? Dude, like, this is a reference that you'll get. Like, Silva, bef like, when he signed to the UFC, before the time on the shelf, he had some, like, Rio Heroes deltoids. It's like, dude, there's no way there's no way you're fighting in America without some time off. <laughs> um, I, 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 so, Bruno Silva, I said that I wasn't as high on him as other people were, where I still liked him, and I picked, I picked him to win. I think I picked him to win by first-round knockout. I, I mean, I picked his fight against... Termin perfect. I, I said first round knockout for Bruno Silva, but because I said I wasn't as high as other people, I think of every prediction I've made, I've got more hate from that one than any <laughs> other. Like I've completely botched picks. I've shit on fighters that, and then they did great. Like I've, you know, but saying like 
I don't think Bruno Silva is going to be a champion one day. Got me tons of hate on, on our like YouTube. Uh, Bruno Silva, uh, he he fights out of both stances. He tends to fight in blitzes where he he kind of has a Yoel Romero style in him where he's kind of uh, stays outside, stays out. Then it's like berserker when he comes in, throwing wild looping punches. He hits extremely hard, like extremely hard. I mean, he just touches guys and they just crumble. I mean, like, well, it's a turn and uh, crumble. I, I mean, he's got, I don't know what it is, like every single fight he wins by knockout. Um, he is wild. He's open to counters because he throws looping uh, punches from his hips. I think last time I compared him to, like, a Vandalay Silver. Um, he he loves just nonstop. He'll throw, like, a flying knee to close the distance. Uh, strong plum clinch. I go back to his fight with Alexander Slomenko. I talked about he killed Alexander Slomenko in the clinch. Um, my one concern is his wrestling. I mean, Wellington Terman, I mean, it was a quick fight. But in the brief time they fought, we did see Silva in some brief trouble with Wellington Terman taking him down, like briefly got his back, um, was pinning him against the cage, stuff like that. So that 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 is the avenue of victory is probably turned into a wrestling match. That's when... Andrew Sanchez can do. I mean, Andrew Sanchez is a two, two-time NAIA national champion in wrestling. Uh, he has good entries. I mean, he early in his career, that's all he was known for was his wrestling. I mean, he won the Ultimate Fighter Show just by wrestling. Um, the And if he doesn't get takedowns, he's he's a guy in the past he's willing just to grind, just press you against the fence, do what Willington Terman was doing. Um, on the feet, though, he's really improved on the feet recently. He has a... He has a like a karate style to his game, pretty elusive. Uh, he actually fights. Uh, I shouldn't say fights similar to Silva, but he has a he wants all the way out, then all the way leaping in kind of attack mode, which Silva likes to do too. Except that Silva, when he jumps in there, he's throwing a knock your head off, and and Sanchez is landing one or two shots. Um, he tends to throw from weird angles because of his like karate style. Uh, but Sanchez can be drawn into a brawl. Um, and this is bad because he's eaten some heavy shots recently. I mean, he was uh, his his last fight was a, a very very bad stylistic matchup on the feet for him um, against uh, Muradov. Mur- uh, Mur- Muradov. If I, yep. I apologize if I said his name wrong, um, you know, and he he got looped into a, a striking battle with him. So as a prediction goes, I <laughs> I'm gonna get hate again. I really want to take Andrew Sanchez. Uh, if as what I said about uh, Amiv, if uh, Amiv, if if Amiv came to me and said he's going to wrestle 15 minutes, I would pick him. Um, if Andrew Sanchez came to me and said I'm going to wrestle 15 minutes straight, I might take Andrew Sanchez. However, even when he does wrestle, he tends to tire himself out just as much as he ties his opponent out. And I just don't trust his chin. We've seen Sanchez get cracked. Uh, I know we've talked in the past. We think his chin got a bad rap, and then he actually—it's—it's it's less about his chin and more about his defense because he, he's been rocked many times. Um, but Silva just cracks differently than everyone else. So I'm gonna go Silva too. I'll say Sanchez does enough to turn into a wrestle match early, but eventually he makes a mistake and Silva puts him out. I'm gonna say Silva does in the second round instead of the first round, and I'm probably gonna get hate if you if he gets my if he gets a first round knockout. I'm probably gonna get hate. Uh, even though he's had two UFC fights and I've picked him to win by brutal knockout twice now. There you go. 
Uh, two, you know, two strong picks for uh, Bruno, the baby dinosaur Silva, to get it done by KO. The only difference is which round we think he gets it done in. The five-fight main card of UFC Fight Night 195 kicks off in the middleweight division with uh, what sounds like an attraction from some local indie pro wrestling show. It is the Cuban Missile Crisis versus the Beverly Hills Ninja. It's Dana White's Contender Series Season 1 versus Contender Series Season 2. It is Julian Marquez versus Jordan Wright. Marquez, the 31-year-old uh, product of Glory MMA and Fitness, uh, is 9-2 and two overall. He's 3-1 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, came right out of the gate with, uh, well, and, and worth noting that he built beat Phil Hawes on the Contender Series to get to the UFC in the first place. That's a win that's aged pretty well. Won his UFC debut over Darren Stewart, then dropped a pretty plodding split decision to Alessio DiCurico. Promptly took like two and a half years off. Uh, with some pretty severe injuries. I want to say it was one of his arms that was like really uh, jacked up. But at any rate, came back to almost no expectations or fanfare uh, this February. Beat Maki Patolo with just a fantastic come from behind uh, Anaconda Choke submission. Shot his shot with Miley Cyrus. Uh, you know, it was Miley Cyrus, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, was that the Patolo fight or was that his last fight? Was it the Alvi fight? I, I don't know. No, I, it was the Patolo fight. Yeah, he shot a shot at the solo fight, but then uh, choked uh, Sam Alvey all the way, you know, to the the astral plane in his next fight back in April. So he's on a two-fight win streak of, you know, pretty impressive submissions. And, uh, you know, this will be his third fight this year. He's going to take on Wright, the 30-year-old Los Angeles native who goes by the Beverly Hills Ninja, is 12-1 and with one no contest. Uh, he's two and one since joining uh, the UFC. Uh, he's a veteran of Dana White's Contender Series season two, but he didn't join the UFC out of uh, that appearance because he got lamped by Anthony Hernandez. Uh, then, you know, that was overturned when uh, Hernandez tested positive for, I believe, cannabis. Uh, went and won one more fight on uh, at in LFA. Then got signed to the UFC last summer. He won his uh, UFC debut at light heavyweight against Ike Villanueva, uh, just busted him up on the way to a cut stoppage in the first round, uh, got knocked out by Joaquin Buckley last November at UFC 255, and in his most recent appearance this past May at UFC 262, knocked out Jamie Pickett in all of 64 seconds. Both men riding a certain amount of momentum into this fight, but the odds uh, favor Marquez to be the one who keeps it going. He's out there at minus 230 or minus 235 or so. Wright is available at plus 190 as the pretty substantial um, uh, underdog. I mean, it's a little bit of an oversimplification to call this a striker versus grappler matchup. You know, uh, Marquez actually, you know, has more uh, KO and TKO wins on his record than submissions by far, but submissions are, are kind of the train he's been riding recently. That might just be, you know, being under the tutelage of uh, James Krause. Uh, you know, Glory MMA and Fitness is has been one of the breakout gyms of the last two years, just coming seemingly out of nowhere to... They send a bunch of people to the UFC on short notice, which makes sense since James Krause is always the first guy to try to step up anytime someone needs, say, needs yeah, an opponent. Coach. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, it's been a great story for that for that gym. Being available and sending people up on short notice has done well for a lot of fighters during the the post COVID era, and you know, uh, certainly for at least a few entire gyms. I uh, I love this trend. Like, I don't. I mean, it sucks, but it when the UFC starts traveling around to other, you know, cities. Like, I know they go to New York City next month, but, you know, they start going to Boston and Chicago and Florida or something. If if you got a teammate on a card and you're showing up the corner, like, and you, you know, you want to get in the UFC, be on weight. Because, yep. I mean, like what Chris Curtis did. Yeah. That's that's all that's all it takes. Just be there. Be available. Be on, be ready to go. Be like, hey, I'm cutting weight with you. And, hey, oh, flyweight miss. Hey, I'm a flyweight. I'll fight him. There you go. Uh, Jordan Wright's nickname is silly, the Beverly Hills Ninja. But, hey, he, he is from Southern California, and he does come uh, from a karate background that, you know, it is very obvious when he's when he's in the cage. And his, uh, you know, his takedown defense and range management are still a little suspect to me. I, I, I still feel as though, like, a strong aggressive durable middleweight is going to be able to you know weather his shots from the outside get in get his hands on them dump them on the ground and that is i mean that's that's the avenue to victory for julian marquez and i expect him to get it done and even if it takes him a while to get there if he has to wait for right to get tired if he has to wait to get the timing just has to try five times to get him to the ground before he really gets him down in a position where he can go to work I'm going to pick it to happen because Marquez survived two and a half rounds against Maki Patolo, who, I mean, he's a different striker than Wright, but I think he absolutely hits harder. And Marquez took everything he had for like 12 minutes and then finished the thing uh, as soon as he had a chance. So like worst case scenario for me, Marquez does something like that. Best case scenario, uh, he stings Wright with something on the feet early because he's a hard hitter himself, then gets him down and finishes this thing on the ground either with a choke or with ground and pound. I'm going to split the difference and say Marquez gets this done by second round submission. All right. So, yeah, this is an intriguing fight. Um, stylistically, it is because both guys are finishing machines, um, getting you know, early success lately. Marquez is a really big middleweight. That's what stands out to me. He's just like a burly guy, uh, not very tactical. Uh, he kind of just walks down as opponents invites them into a brawl. Uh, he loves to brawl. He throws everything hard. He hits hard. Uh, he throws sharp hooks, loves his overhands, hard kicks to the body. Um, go back to that like high kick of Phil Hawes. I mean, that was a little little different as it was like a clinch to a, like a kick as breaking away. But we've seen the power he has with a high kick. Uh, defensively, a lot of holes, though. Very hittable. Um, he... You mentioned like he wants to wrestle. He has like a grimy wrestling game to him where he would just clinch you uh, way, way on you. Um, weak defensive wrestler, though, but pretty good scramble game. Good heart, too. Like he won't give up. Like you take him down, he's not going to uh, give up a position. He's going to continue to like mentally fight through it, get to it, like, you know, take him down to his butt. He's going to work to his knee, work up to uh, his base, work up to his. The cage, just one of those kind of guys. On top, vicious ground upon though, like some of the best ground upon there is, uh, and he has a submission threat. He's, I mean, his last three wins: Sam Alvey, Maki Patola, and Darren Stewart, all submission wins for him. Uh, though cardio is a bit of an issue, as he throws everything with power. Uh, Jordan Wright, also big for the weight class. I mean, this guy used to be a, a light heavyweight. Uh, 
one thing I had against him on the contender series was that he faced such low level competition. I mean, like a win over Ike Villanueva doesn't really do much to impress me, but beating up Jamie Pickett, like that speaks a little bit more to me. Like that's a, you know, low level UFC talent, but he showed that he's, he, Jordan Wright, I wasn't sure was a UFC talent. He showed to me that he is now. Um, Karate background. He throws a lot of spinning attacks, but I don't think he's a good athlete. Um, He's kind of slow. He's very hittable. Uh, he leads with his chin. Um, his chin also could be an issue. I mean, we've seen uh, Joaquin Buckley knock him out, which can walk, knock on anybody. But Anthony Hernandez also starched him, um, besides the weed. Uh, he he has shown power in his own, and he's a little wild, but he, if he connects, he can put you out. Good plump clinch, though. He's a taller guy. Uh, knees up the middle. I'd say okay wrestler. Nothing stands out. Um, is a submission threat, but, well, again, nothing stands out. As far as the prediction go, this fight is, is is a tough one to call because I'm not that high in either guy. I don't see a, a great athlete. I'm just going to go with a man that has confidence. Because I, I always preach to my kids, like in sports, confidence is a huge thing. And the man who has confidence is, is Julian Marquez. And how do I know he has confidence? You already mentioned it. He was on national TV and he called for a date with Miley Cyrus. I mean, we got listener, we got there's a listener right now, like Who's after listening to the show is gonna like, I'm assuming Thursday night, go hit up the bar. They're gonna see some girl who's probably like a C at a bar, and he's gonna be scared to talk to her at some freaking dive bar in Tuscaloosa. Dude, Julian Marcus is, is trying to kick game to one of the biggest celebrities in the world. Like, dude, do it for Julian Marcus. Go talk to that freaking oh, C level girl. And then, and then, this is what me, this is how I interested. Me and Matt are gonna make matches tonight. Take a, once you're, Hook up with her, take a picture with it, send it to us, and be like, "Yo, we took your advice." Five years from now, this is your wife. Just be in, in, in all because Julian Marquez beat Maki Patolo. <laughs> you know, make uh, that's how much I, I care about this fight. I, I'd rather talk about Miley Cyrus and, and help some listener out and get a girl. Uh, anyways, calling out Miley Cyrus for a date is good enough for me. Give me Marquez. I'll say he gets takes a, gets a takedown, wins on the ground. Uh, and honestly, I hope he keeps this trend going. Like, I don't know if he called for a date after the Sam Alvey fight or if it was a Sam Alvey fight. Like, I hope he, like, Miley Cyrus, he didn't get a date with Miley Cyrus, so go to, like, the next celebrity. Like, call for a date with one of the Kardashians or call Scarlett Johansson. Shit, shoot your shot with Oprah. I don't give a Like, or just, you know? Uh, and, what if he just, what if he just told Alvey after that fight, hey, your wife is in me DMs? You know what? Sam, Sam Alvey's all right. We, that's not going. To, I mean, his uh, wife would have been like right there. In fairness, his wife is a celebrity, so that would fit the trend. Um, I don't know if I want to go to Sam Alvey's wife, but uh, you know what? And if Wright wins, he should call for a date with Miley Cyrus. Like you beat him, now you call for it. Like that. That'll be like you know, like literal champion, but like like literal Miley Cyrus boyfriend. Like whoever beats Jordan Wright, they get their turn. There should be a BMF belt, you know, like the. <laughs> like the the Miley Cyrus belt, you know. There you go. Anyways, right. so I'll uh, I'll take uh, Julian Marquez by wrecking ball. In which round? First round. All right. There you go. Julian Marquez believes in himself. Keith Schilling and I believe in you. Yes, you. Up next on the UFC Vegas 40 main card is a flyweight matchup between Manon Fioro and Mayra Bueno Silva. Fioro, the 31-year-old French woman, is 7-1 overall. She's 2-0 since joining the UFC uh, earlier this year. Uh, she debuted with a 
second round TKO win over Victoria Leonardo at UFC on ESPN, Chiesa versus Magni. Came back uh, with another second round uh, knockout win over Tabitha Ricci in June at UFC Fight Night, Rosenstrike versus Sakai. Uh, she's taking on Bueno Silva. The 30-year-old Brazilian is 7-1-1 one, one overall. She is 2-1-1 one, one since joining the UFC out of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. And here is your uh, piece of trivia for the day. Maíra Bueno Silva is the first fighter ever signed out of the Brazilian edition of uh, Dana White's Contender Series. Like, I think there were two signed that episode, but she was the first fight of the night. So she is technically the first uh, signee out of uh Dana White's Contender Series Brazil, and hey, a couple of years later, she's still in the UFC. Uh, however, she is not favored to get it done this Saturday. She is plus 180 as the underdog, Fioro, uh, minus 220 or minus 225 or so uh, as the comfortable favorites. I, I doubted Fioro out of the gate. I picked against her more or less on principle in her UFC debut, simply because, you know, if you're a fighter with fewer than 10 fights, you're coming with a real clean record out of Europe and you are a physical specimen. I mean, I, I feel bad a little bit saying this, but I'm going to wait until I see you after, you know, on an out of competition test in competition test. Like I'm going to wait through your first fight. Cause I've seen too many fighters just not look the same physically, you know, and frankly, Ariane Lipsky is one of them, you know, it's taken her a long time to get back to the killer that she was in her last few fights in KSW. Uh, so I picked against Fioro. I was dead wrong. And two fights in, I'm just, you know, I I'm excited to have her in the division. She's a physical specimen. She's an outstanding boxer who's also comfortable wrestling and, and being on the ground if, if it, uh, if it takes uh, that. And she's going against someone in Mayura Bueno Silva that still mostly gets by on the feet on, uh, aggression and volume I think Fioro's just going to piece her up on, on the feet. I don't know if uh, Silva will try to get it uh, to the ground. I expect she will at some point. You know, uh, she's better on the ground than on the feet. But I'm not sure she's going to be able to get it there when she wants to. Uh, I think the, the difference in footwork, the difference in physical strength is going to be substantial for Fioro. And, yeah, I think this is just going to be a, a showcase fight for her. I don't know if she gets the finish. But give me Manon Fioro by just a one-sided like bruising decision where Silva's face is all busted up by the end of this. Yeah. So before I make my pick on this fight, I just want to go back to all the Bruno Silva fans that hate me. Listen, I picked that guy to win. I'm sure if you like Bruno Silva, you have to like Manon Faro too. Ben didn't pick Faro, So take all that hate over to Ben instead. So uh, anyways, back to this fight. So we is I, is Eros Medic fighting this weekend? Because I pick him to win <laughs> if he is. <laughs> uh, inside joke right there. Um, so uh, Biono Silva versus Faro. This is my favorite fight on the entire card. Like I said earlier, there was another fight I was looking forward to. Just stylistically, just just two girls I actually like. Um, I'll start with Silva. She's a kickboxer. A lot of stance switches. She just walks down her opponents. Uh, she's a little flat-footed though, um, but she has tight boxing. Uh, she doesn't throw in volume until she gets into her range, and that's when she unloads with hard combos. Good power. Um, she does tend to chase the knockout, what I don't like, instead of just letting the knockout flow to her. But uh, she has some good setups, good teep kicks. She'll throw in some spinning back elbows, uh, spinning back fists. She's strong on the plum clinch. Uh, that's because, she's, when you look at her, she's a very physically strong woman. Um 
she's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, go back to the Marina Moroz fight, like the Tom Moroz one. She kind of outvolumed her and took her down. Uh, but she is a submission threat. The one issue I have is is she's very inconsistent. Like one fight she looks like a killer, and the next fight she looks terrible. Um, I think she's the killer side. I I, I believe in her a little bit. Uh, but then you have Manon Faro, Southpaw, very fast hands. She's technically sound striker. Nice pop in her in her hands. Uh, nice pop in her strikes. Uh, good movement, good footwork. Her footwork really stands out to me of everything you do. Because I've always, I, I, I've said this before, but I, I truly believe it. I believe the best strikers have good footwork. Like, I believe, like, your foundation of being a good striker is footwork. Footwork's the number, most important thing when it comes to striking. Uh, she can land strikes while backing up, which is really impressive if you try to pressure. Uh, she's good at cutting angles on her attacks. So she'll come in and then she'll sidestep an angle. Uh, little, little things she does that stand out. Uh, she can be gun shy though. Like I've seen her in fights where she's not throwing enough, um, which is an issue. But when she's adding her kicks to her game, a lot of a lot of good quality calf kicks, teep kicks, push kicks, um, variety in her attacks. She will. She's not just a striker though. She'll add in a takedown with her strikings. Nice entries. Good top control. Heavy pressure. Uh, I said that I believe that. Mara Bruno Silva has a killer in her. The problem is, I think Mara Feroz is an even better killer. I, I believe in her even more. This is a girl that I was big on coming in. I'm still on it. This is a dope fight. I expect both girls to throw down. I think we're going to have some really good exchanges. I just think Feroz is just better everywhere. I think she's got more power. I think she's faster. I think she's more tactical. I think she's longer. I think she might be even be the better wrestler. Uh Faroe's a girl I really like. She's one of my favorite people, one of my favorite female fighters in the entire UFC. Uh, I'm riding this hype train. Give me Faroe. I get her by a dominant decision. There you go. Two strong picks for uh, Manon Fioro to get the job done on Saturday. Third from the top at UFC Fight Night 195. It is a lightweight matchup. That will be another record setter the moment they step into the cage as Jim Miller and Eric Gonzalez will combine for the greatest disparity in UFC experience between uh, two fighters in a UFC fight ever. Uh, Miller, the 38-year-old from New Jersey, is 32-16 and 16 with one no contest overall. He's 21-15 and 15 with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, he'll be taking on Gonzalez, who will be making his UFC debut. So for those counting at home, it is 37 to zero in uh, in UFC appearances. Uh, the man they call the Ghost Pepper, 29 year old out of Torrance, California, is 14 and five overall. Uh, fought has fought all over, but uh, primarily made his bones in Combate Americas back before it was Combate Global. He fought most recently uh, at uh, LXF, which is a California promotion. In August, taking a unanimous decision over Samuel Alvarez, that earned him the call-up. Odds on this one do favor Miller. He is a minus 210 favorite. Gonzalez plus 175 uh, on on the comeback. Man, so Jim Miller, th- there's just two left now. You know, two years ago, there were, there were four men just basically tossing the UFC record book as far as like career numbers go like a hot potato you know jim miller uh donald cerrone diego sanchez and uh, joe lozon and lozon's kind of falling behind sanchez is out so it's really just a two-man race now between miller and cerrone and uh, 
both guys, I mean, they're still not an easy out for, for most people. But, you know, both guys are just a, a ghost of what they were. And I, I said this, you know, ahead of last of uh, Miller's last fight against Joe Selecki, you know, because I picked him to beat Vince Pichel in his fight before that. I learned my lesson and against Joe Selecki. I said, and it's not like, you know, I was, again, not like I was discovering gravity in saying this, but what Jim Miller has left is aggression, really opportunistic grappling, and one round worth of cardio. That's literally all he has left. Like, he's no longer a UFC-level striker. He's no longer really a UFC-level wrestler, either offensively or defensively. And where he used to be just one of the toughest, grittiest guys in the sport, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is 38 years old and has been through 37 UFC fights, like bout, a bout of Lyme disease that went undiagnosed for years. Just Jim Miller, the, the tires are bald, and the car burns as much oil as it does gas. Like, we're, we're in the last... We're, we're, we're in the last... Like, the last act of Jim Miller's career. And the only thing that makes me just kind of like smile and, and talk fondly about it is that he's not getting his brains beat in every time out, you know, like he's, he's just, you know, get, getting kind of worn down by guys he would have schooled in his day that are just able to outlast him and counter what few weapons he has left. I can't believe they found a guy that's a two to one underdog against him. Like, I mean, I wouldn't make him a two to one favorite over anyone in the UFC lightweight division, which is why they kind of had to go sign someone new. But against Eric Gonzalez, it's it's the exact same thing. Like Jim Miller has one round to uh, find a submission, or you know, or or just pin Gonzalez down and ground and pound him out, or at least get a 10-8 round so that this thing probably ends up a draw. Even though he's a two-to-one favorite, I've seen Eric Gonzalez fight a lot of times. I don't think Jim Miller's going to tap him out in the first round. And so for me, the math is as simple as that. He might win the first round like he did against Vince Pichel. And I can't remember, but I think he might have against Joe Selecki as well. And then the rest of it is just the most, like, you know how this movie ends. Give me Eric Gonzalez. Unanimous decision, 29-28. That's yeah. my upset special. Yeah, I get it, man. So first of all, I'll just the odds. Because Jim Miller should not be a 2-1 to one favorite against anybody in the UFC. Like... The, I'll say this about Jim Miller. Like I get this is his, he's now taking the sole possession of the record, I believe, most appearances, which is kind of funny. As you mentioned, one guy's making his debut, uh, the other guy's making the his record-breaking appearance. Jim, I want Jim Miller to have the appearances record, simply because Donald Cerrone has other stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's more known to the casual fans. He had his fight against Conor McGregor. He's for for the title, he's headlined UFCs. He's he's you know he's got the most was it most knockouts I believe or most 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 finishes. I think he has the most finishes. Most yeah. wins, most wins. He has the most wins. Most wins. Yeah, yeah. But he has other records. Like this is all Jim Miller has. Um. So I'll say this kind of some. I've said this before, but I'll give like a little hint how I I do film study. I I have like an ongoing like database of notes on fighters. I keep like a word document with fighters' names, and I kind of have an alphabetical order. Then I go back in when a fighters again we're doing the card. I pull that fighters' notes, and then I watch two or three of the most recent fights to see if anything in my notes needs to be updated and changed and and whatnot. 
I haven't updated notes in Jimmel in a really long time, simply because like I don't I don't want to watch him because it's sad to watch. Everything I say nice about him, it's all declining. Um, he's a yeah, he's a savvy veteran. He's he's never been a great athlete. He's more technically sound than than a good athlete. He's he's what he in his prime. He was well rounded, but he's lost like two, three, four steps. Uh, he's his speed is all but gone. Uh, he's always lacked head movement. He has a good chin. He's he's got to be tough. He's got to be in it. Uh, I think only Dan Hooker's recent has put him out, and that was a couple of years back. Uh, Dude, just sorry to interrupt, yeah. but real no, quick. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. That's like barely three years ago. Like three years ago, this guy was fighting Dan Hooker and Charles Oliveira. <laughs> yeah, now he's fighting uh, Eric Gonzalez. And Jim Miller will make the UFC Hall of Fame because everybody makes the UFC Hall of Fame eventually. I mean, other than Frank Shamrock, <laughs> everybody makes the UFC. You know, as long as you're friends with Dana White, you're going to get in. Um, but I just don't want to see him fight anymore. It just. It, he, he's he is a good grappler. He's good wrestler. He's a good submission threat. I wrote down seven minutes of cardio. I think actually that's something I probably need to update. That it's it's going down. It's probably more than five minutes now. Four maybe four minutes. It's going to keep continue getting slower, lower and lower. Um, he still he is a submission threat. Like he can lock on a guillotine. Like it's always been a strength of his. Uh, but it's it's not going to be long. Now Eric Gonzalez, he's a Combates America veteran. Uh, but he's lost some. You know, look at his record. He's lost some low-level UFC talent. Uh, Humberto Bondane, uh, Rafi Garcia. Like these are low-level UFC talent, and they beat him up. Um, he switches stance a lot. He's aggressive on the on the feet. He's a pressure striker. Uh, he's kind of slow though. Like his hands, are, he drops his hands. He throws looping punches from his hips. A lot of arm punches then generate a lot of power because of that. Uh, likes to throw kicks to the body from the southpaw stance if when he's in there. Doesn't check leg kicks. He is a submission threat, and the reason why he's a submission threat is because he's on his back a lot because his wrestling is terrible. Um, like some of the he, like I don't know if he knows what a sprawl is. <laughs> he just his he, I think he thinks like if you shoot it on his hips, you automatically has to fall directly on his back because that's usually about ninety nine percent of the time that's what happens. So as far as prediction goes, dude, I. Can I pass? Can I can I can I take a pass? Um, it just comes down to is Jim Miller com- like all the way completely shot? If Jim Miller's prime was probably ten years ago, you know what I mean. Even then, even then, what was the ceiling of Jim Miller? Top twelve, top fourteen range guy? Like he was never a top ten guy. He was never. Uh, I, I I think there was a moment when he probably was when you know, really only like Edgar and Maynard and Penn okay, fair were, were ahead of him. But yeah, that I, was 2008. Yeah. Okay. So 2008. So you're talking got more than that. So 13 years ago and, and yeah. fairness to Jim Miller. Like, I don't mean that I'm not bad. He, 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 I'm a Jim Miller fan. Like I'm, mm-hmm. this is why I don't want to see him before anymore. Like who, who isn't a Jim Miller fan? He's your, like, yeah, I, I explain. He's just like, you're, Every man's man who shows up to work and he's always in it. He's willing to fight everyone. He's got huge balls. Like Jim Miller's the man. Um, and I'm not trying to dog him saying like he's never was a top ten guy or never a top five guy. It's just because it was the weight class he was in. It, it, it's like you mentioned BJ Penn and Diego Sanchez and Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard and Anthony Pettis and Rafael uh, Dos Anjos. Like he, and Benson Henderson and uh, all these guys in that era. Like. 
there was a good era of lightweights, and it's always been a, a Clay Guida, you know, whatever, the Nate Diaz. Um, yeah. It it's just always been a low to weight class. That's kind of it's been a little bit of a downfall. Donald Cerrone, another one. Um, but that, like, I don't need 2008 Jim Miller to beat Eric Gonzalez. I need like 2019 Jim Miller, like 2019 Jim Miller wins. I just don't know if he's fallen this far down. I can't believe I'm doing this in 2021, but I'm still going to take Miller. Uh, I think he's completely shot, but I think he may be, he's going to be, he's going to win the first round with his wrestling. I'm hoping he can get another takedown in the second round and win that. So give me Miller by decision. However, I want to point this out. I would not be shocked. Like, I don't know what the odds are for a draw. And if you're like a real, like, degenerate when it comes to gambling and stuff, like, you might want to throw some money on a draw because I could see Jamila win the two first rounds and be so gassed and Gonzalez just putting it on him in the last round and getting a 10-8 round. Or getting a 10-8 in the first round, like I said, he might, and then losing the second and third. You know, there, there oh, are two oh, different the other ways. Way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Actually, yeah, that's another way. Yes, yeah, so you got two options. So, like, I could see a, a draw. So, like, I'm, I almost picked it as a draw for fun. Uh, but, yeah, give me Jim Miller, but I'm going to regret this pick. All right. And just here, let me let me take a look here. Fight is a draw. You can get. Plus 5,000, 50 to one odds. There you go. There you go. Turn turn $2 into a, a lovely steak dinner for two, like, you know, and a bottle of wine. Like, hey, there you, go. you know what? The guy who's at the bar, going to take that girl. That could be your first date if you throw $2 on the on the draw. That's, come on, it's a sign. Somebody, somebody do this. <laughs> like, bet responsibly. Like, literally only bet $2 in this, please. And if you thought our conversation about Jim Miller was a little on the somber side, buckle up, because our co-main event will have us talking about the last fighter on UFC roster who was in the UFC before Dana White. And on top of that, he has 312 losses by knockout. It is Andre Arlovsky versus Carlos Felipe. Arlovsky, the 42-year-old Belarusian, is 31-20 and 20 with two no contests overall, he is 20 and 14 with one no contest across multiple stints in the UFC. Obviously, you know, he won the title and had a, a very historically important trilogy with Tim Sylvia back in 2005. Uh, you know, left to go big game hunting, you know, had the famous loss to Fedor Emelianenko. Um, made his way back to the UFC long after everybody figured he was done and a spent force. And yet here he still is having won three of his last four, four of his last six at age 42. And this time he will be welcoming Carlos Felipe, who is a member of the uh, youth movement in the UFC heavyweight division that Keith and I have talked about a lot over the last year or so. 26 years old, out of Brazil. He's 11-1 and one overall. He's 3-1 and one since joining the UFC last summer. So not only doing well, but keeping a busy schedule lost his UFC debut to Sergey Spivak in a competitive, if slow-paced, majority decision. That was last July. Since then, he's rattled off three straight wins uh, by, over Jorgen DeCastro, Justin Taffa, and most recently in June at UFC 263, Jake Collier. 
whom he defeated by a split decision at UFC 263. Odds on this one, close to a pick'em. Felipe actually just the slightest of favorites. He's minus 115. Arlovsky not quite available in the plus money as of Wednesday. He's minus 105. Keith, I'll tell you this much. Ten years ago, Andre Arlovsky might have been literally the last, like the the least likely high-level fighter in the sport that that I would have picked to still be a relevant fighter in 2021. Just considering how much his game has always had always run off of elite athleticism, especially for heavyweight. You know, just he came off as an A-level athlete always. And then how much of his ceiling had been defined by the fragility of his chin and frankly his psyche. This is a guy who's been like before it was, I'm not saying it's cool to do now, but before anyone did it, this is a guy that just gave the rawest accounts of like literally putting a gun to his head and playing uh Belarusian roulette, you know, after uh in the midst of one of his losing streaks. Like he's always been very real and very raw about that stuff. This was not a guy that anything about him said, yeah, I'll still be taking dudes down, you know, in 2021. I'll, I'll still be probably a win or two away from like being in the rankings discussion again. Like he's in the co-main event. He's in the co-main event. And he's the one guy that like, as everything is sort of orbited around him, he's always, this has always been like second or third from the top. Like he's, he's still out there. And he's won part three of it, four. he's won three of four. He's won four of six. The guys he's beating are not complete chumps. Like he's won four of six fighting a much tougher slate of opposition than Carlos Felipe has. Because his name is big enough that they can't give him true softballs. So, you know, they pit him against the guys they are hoping will do well. Felipe Lins, Tanner Bozer, Chase Sherman, the guys that they're hoping, hey, you can make your name off of this legend and then move up. And he keeps beating them. And part of it is that he, a lot like uh, Alistair Overeem, has adapted his game to work around his limitations. It's not as fan-friendly, but it's ended up with a lot less of him staring up at the lights. Second part of it is... What uh, he seems to have undergone what Jay Petrie calls CRT, which is chin replacement therapy. It used to be that just a slight breeze would put this guy out. And that's something that doesn't typically get better as you plow through your 30s. But all of a sudden, he's proven he can take take a shot from UFC uh, heavyweights. Who knows how it happened, but it's happened and we're here. And in the last two or three years, again, in his 40s, since he's turned 40, the only people that have made it look easy against Arlovsky are like Tom Aspinall, who's, I mean, you and I both think of as a probably a future title contender, and Jairzinho Rosenstrike, who's a title contender right now. Like, we think he's, you know, kind of bumping up against his own ceiling, but he's been a top five guy. The rest of them, it's been tough fights, and he's winning more than he loses. I'm at a loss to explain it. But Carlos Felipe, to me, is a guy, another one that is sort of cut out for Arlovsky to look good against. Like, Felipe, as he came into the UFC, the interesting thing to me was that for just an absolute barrel-chested tank of a man, he's surprisingly nimble. Like, he's he's a guy who's, like, surprisingly uh, surprisingly athletic and coordinated for fast. a dude who... Cl- fast. For a dude <laughs> who cuts, who clearly cuts weight to make 265, you know? Uh and that has followed him to the UFC, but in Brazil, he was knocking everybody out, and the real knockout power has not followed him to the UFC. All three of his wins have been decisions. All of them have been pretty competitive, and he's sort of, to me, he's kind of hit his ceiling as a guy who 
he's he's brought you know what got him to the dance, but hasn't really improved on it much. You know, like he lost to Sergey Spivak. There's no shame in that. Spivak is a is you know a fringe contender himself, but I think he'd lose to Spivak again if they fought tomorrow. He is exactly the guy that Arlovsky. You know what? He can afford to make a mistake against because he probably won't get flatlined by the first clean punch he eats from him. I think Arlovsky can probably take Felipe down if he wants to. Uh, and I think Arlovsky, even as many steps as he's lost, and he hasn't lost quite as many as Miller, but he's no longer the elite fast twitch athlete he was, you know, in 2006. Uh, I still, I, I think he's gonna. I still think he's a better technical striker than Felipe. He's more defensively sound. Like, you know, Arlovsky is the the slightest of underdogs here, so I won't bother to call it my my upset special. That's that's Eric Gonzalez over Jim Miller. But I'm feeling Arlovsky in this one. I think he wins a decision, turns away yet another of the next generation of heavyweights, and the UFC continues to have a, a problem on its hands. Yeah. So comparing Arlovsky to Jim Miller, because, I mean, it's fair to do that, as they're both, you know, I, I Jim Miller's completion, Arlovsky's not. And that's my point. Like, Arlovsky's like, Alex Volkanovsky right now compared to Jim Miller or freaking <laughs> Brandon Marino or something. Um <laughs> Because, as you mentioned, like he's still competitive. Um, he he's a boxer. He always has been. He's a he's a counter striker, uh, high guard defense, tight tight boxing. Uh, though his hands have have really slowed. Like that, when you go back to when he was knocking out uh, Justin Eilers and Paul Benatel. The thing that stood out to him was obviously a power, but also hand speed, um, being a good athlete, being the better athlete. Um, that's not really the case anymore. Like he's now he's a low output, um, really less engaged to protect that chin. Um, his chin has been a roller coaster where it was, you said like chin reconstruction surgery. Uh, yeah, it like was gone. Then it came back then it was gone again. And now it's like suddenly his back. He's not getting knocked out. Um, I, I still don't trust it. Like it seems like you and Jay do. Um, I just think he's kind of had been the right place, right time. Hasn't had the, you know, sh- showing against Francis Ngannou, then then I'll believe it a yeah. little bit more. Um, he also he has conserved, like his output is out there to kind of like conserve his his cardio. Like he's done the complete opposite that Jim Miller has done, where Jim Miller blows his load in the first round. Arlovski's found a way to do it for 15 minutes to survive. Of course, it's not fair to compare a heavyweight to a lightweight. Like you, it's just different. Like you can't not go all out at lightweight. Um, obviously, it's a much faster game. Um, the other thing about Arleski is his power is completely gone. I said this last time. He hasn't got a KO since he knocked out Travis Brown. That was six years ago. He's had 17 fights since that knockout. Um, but his his power is just gone. If Arleski wins this fight, it's going to be a boring fight. It's going to be a low kickboxing match where he's just a little more technically sound, or it's going to be grapple heavy, but like boring grappling, a lot of clinching, pressing against the cage. Alaski um, can do that. He's an intelligent grappler. He's a good wrestler. Um, no major holes in the grappling game. Uh, as far as Felipe, <laughs> you being very nice to him, you're saying like big barrel chested. Like that's 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 that is. Uh, I am an analyst for Sure Dog. I'm I have to be professional. Guy at the bar watching college Lewis first guy be like, who the hell's that fat guy who's in the UFC? Like that's what they describe him as. Uh, but why I would say why I, I want to say this is he fights completely different than his what his body suggests. Like you would if you saw a guy like that and you said he got in the UFC, you go, oh man, then 
he's got to be slow, but if he must, he must have just big haymaking power. And if he touches you, you, you die. Peak Roy Nelson when he had the big, I mean, he still does, but big belly. But, you know, Roy Nelson throws those big haymakers. He catches you, you knock you out. That's not Felipe. He has no power for heavyweight. He's a bob and weave, fast, good output, high cardio, fast hands, technically sound boxer. He uses feints well, works behind a jab, loves his uh, like lead jab over him, right? Though he does kind of telegraph by loading up, though, as I mentioned, he doesn't have any power. He'll dig to the party, um, thudding leg kicks. Like, that's his game. Now, no, no, not a grappler at all. Um, terrible grappler, but like, it's just funny. He's completely different than you expect. Like, he's much faster than you'd guess. So, as far as the prediction goes, this one is surprisingly tough. Like, Alassi should look to clinch to slow down Felipe, make it a grinding affair. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he does that at all. Uh, Felipe, a, f- a few fights ago when he was coming to UFC, and, and I did tape study on him. I thought Felipe was the absolute worst UFC heavyweight on the entire roster. He was the guy I was making jokes like. Uh, a few fights later, he's in the co-main event of a UFC. And I can't believe this. A few fights later, I'm picking the upset Andre Olowski. No, no, he's the favorite. Oh, he's a favorite. Barely. It's like minus 115, okay. minus 105. Right. Like they're well, close I think to a Olowski's done. I think I'm expecting the wheel to fall off. Um I just feel Felipe outworks him to a decision. This might not be an upset by me picking Felipe, but it sure feels like it's like, like I don't know. Like he should be like Alaski should be the better favorite, <laughs> but uh, it just I don't know why it just feels like I'm taking a massive upset, even though uh, he's the favorite. So, anyways, put this down as my upset special, anyways, even though he's the favorite. <laughs> It'll be by far the biggest. I mean. Dude, he's won three straight, but Jorgen DeCastro and Justin Toff, like, DeCastro's already gone. If Toff is yeah, not yeah. gone, he's yeah. close. And, I mean, Collier's been a fun story, but, yeah, I mean, this, this again, take, is the UFC. I think I'd take Collier to beat Alaski too, right now, though. I'm done with all. It's just, Alaski's probably still more technically sound. I mean, it's kind of funny that I said Jim Miller is completely shot, and I picked him to win, and I said Alaski still has some, has some something left in him. And then I took fully paid to beat him. I don't know. I'm having a rough night. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rough night of fights to talk about, man. But there you go. Uh, some some slightly dissenting opinions on this one because neither of us have any any idea what the hell is going to happen. That brings us to the headline fight, the makeshift co- or the makeshift main event between Aspen Ladd and Norma Dumont. Ladd, the 26 year old Californian, is nine and one overall. She's 4-1 and one since joining the UFC as an undefeated prospect out of Invicta Fighting Championships. Uh, won her first three fights against Lena Landsberg, Tanya Evinger, and Sajara Eubanks. Dropped the controversial 15-second uh, knockout loss to Jermaine Durandamy. Came back uh, with a dominant uh, third-round uh, mauling of uh, Yana Kunitskaya. That was back in December of 2019. Uh, since then, she's been out with a Knee injury that required uh, reconstructive surgery, delayed her comeback. She tried to come back uh, two weeks ago, uh, failed to make weight sufficiently alarmingly that the fight was called off. Here she is in a, in a main event, a weight class up, regardless of how you feel about how she got there. And I know we spent a good amount of time talking about it off the top. Uh, here it is nonetheless. And, and she is the headliner. 
She'll be taking on Dumont. The 31-year-old Brazilian uh, is 6-1 and one overall. She's 2-1 and one since uh, joining the UFC out of uh, Brazilian promotions like Jungle, Jungle Fight and Shudo Brazil. She dropped her uh, debut to Megan Anderson, first-round ground-and-pound uh, uh, TKO. Uh, that was at featherweight, obviously. Since then, had tried to drop to bantamweight, beat Ashley Evans-Smith, but failed to make weight by four and a half pounds or something, so basically halfway to featherweight. Then uh, a surprising and important win for her in May. She took on recent featherweight title challenger Felicia Spencer and won a split decision over her at UFC Fight Night Font versus Garbrandt. That catapulted Dumont really directly into the title discussion in the featherweight division, at least. Uh, she was scheduled to fight Holly Holm. And honestly, if she'd beaten Holm, she might have been in line for a shot at Amanda Nunez's uh, featherweight title whenever she chose to defend it next. Uh, despite the, the bad optics of two weeks ago, and despite the short notice nature of this call-up, Ladd is the favorite to get it done in the main event this Saturday. She's minus 135. DeMont is out there plus 115 or so as the slight underdog. Keith, we talked about it a little bit off the top. Uh, Ladd is just now adjusting to the possibility of a five-round fight where DeMont has been preparing for a five-round fight all along. But DeMont has been... Uh, Preparing to face a fighter who's about as different stylistically from Aspen Ladd as you could possibly get. Um, you know, Holly Holm, a legendary uh, MMA striker, you know, even leaving aside her her boxing career, you know, is uh, one of the best, you know, strikers in MMA history in the divisions in which she has labored. But nonetheless, you know, has always had an underrated wrestling game to turn back onto, uh, you know, which is how she 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 beat Megan Anderson. Couldn't couldn't be much more different than Lad and her like rabid Wolverine, uh, you know, like throw you on the ground and beat you up approach. Do, I mean, does does the matchup, does the change in in from what they were expecting, like does it favor one woman more than the other, and how do you see this fight playing out? Who wins? Um. So before we talk about the X's and O's, I'm going to answer that question about the change in a second. I just want to say this. I know some people, like, I get it. They might fast forward right to our prediction. Don't watch every single fight. Or we get it. These shows are long. If you want to hear what we said about the changing of the main event, As Aspen Ladd getting bumped to a main event even though she missed weight, go to the go to the introduction part of this, what we have, Ben has labeled. So we did address that, so I don't want you to think we, we ignored that. Um, who does the change favor? I'll say this. I think Norma Dumont has a much better chance of winning now than she did when she was facing Holly Holm. I think Holly Holm was a very bad stylistic matchup for her. Uh, I think Holly Holm was going to win. And I didn't do tape study on the Holly Holm fight. Obviously, it's, it's, this was before I started doing tape study. Just off the top of my head, I was probably going to go with uh, Holly Holm. As far as Ladd, I mean, like going, going, you mean like going from Macy Chasson to Norma Dumont? Yeah. Uh, I, think it's, I think it became harder for her. I think it's a harder matchup for her. Um, Aspen Led, so I'm going to say this about Aspen Led. Like, we just broke it down two weeks ago. We made a prediction. Nothing changed. She's, so I'm going to basically read the same exact notes that I did two weeks ago. Um, one thing with Aspen Led moving up in weight, the 
almost passing out to making weight twice in two week period thing. One thing that's we keep forgetting is and it's not really became a story in this. This is Aspen Ladd's first fight back from a torn ACL. Like we said that before. She's only twenty six years old, which I'd love. So you obviously have a lot more confidence in twenty six year old Aspen Ladd returning than if it was she was thirty six. Uh, but it's still something very, very intriguing, something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, she's very physically strong, Esmeralda, and that was at 135. But I actually think that's going to help her at 145 because I don't think – I think the one, because of her age, uh, she might not even got into her power years left, but also not depleting her body like she was at 135. At 145. Now, we, you talked about her being – already being large and that making 145 is still going to be tough. Yeah, but not like 135. So I think the power is going to go with her. As far as striking, her, her striking is very raw. Um, she's a little stiff with it. Her hand speed needs to improve. She doesn't really move her head. Um, but she does stay tight to her credit. And at, at 26, this is kind of the age where you see jumps in, in striking ability. Or, or I should say jumps in the area that you're most weak at. So if, you, if it's a grappler, same thing. Uh, or if it's a striker, or same thing with grappling. Uh, Aspen Lad's going to want to get this fight to clinch. She's very strong in the clinch. She's got good clinch takedowns. And the best part of the game is what happens when she hits the ground. Uh, extremely good top pressure. Insane ground upon. Like, she has this main streak in Aspen Lad that, that I think is what makes her um, exciting. Like, she wants to kill you. She has, like, a little... Like, Aspen Lad, if you dated her, like, she has that crazy ex-girlfriend or crazy girl in her like you say you're going to be home by nine like you know it's 903 and she's standing in the middle of the driveway like she has a little bit of that in her uh or at least at least that's what she shows when she fights like i'm pretty convinced that aspen lad's middle name is is like tiffany or jessica or Paige or something like that <laughs> um um anyways I, everything about her being like going like ham on the ground i mean all that as a compliment <laughs> like like I love that. I I love when this like Aspen Lad, like little sweet, you know, kind of soft spoken. You see her interview; she's like soft spoken, and then just like fits of rage comes on her, yeah. and she almost like she almost foaming from the mouth when no, she's. It's it's a it's a good point because you know like Macy Barber has a similar mean streak. Yeah. But but Macy Barber has a like brash personality and kind of crazy eyes. Like we're we're yeah, Lad's a little more low key. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, now, Norma Dumont, I'll say this. Um, she's, she won a split decision with Felicia Spencer. I gave it to her. Um, I know some people gave it to Felicia Spencer. I, I thought she won. Um, Norma Dumont is better than I thought she was when she first came to UFC, especially against that me, the Megan Anderson performance. Like She looks pretty good recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the feet, a lot of stance switches. Uh, very po- uh, poised striker, uh, very calm. Uh, you see, sees that you can see that she's like thinking out there. When you throw strikes at her, you, she sees just good vision. You, she sees the attack. She gets out of the way pretty well, which is surprising considering she's fairly flat-footed. Um, but offensively, she got some good tools. She's fast hands, good power jab, throws a lot of combinations. Um, she has a when you when you when she wants to counter strike, come out. She has a really good like step back out of range. Um, and then pounce back forward with the right hand. It's it's similar to what I say when people pull punches, but it's more of a get out, get out, and then the the opponent who attacked with the combination almost comes, and then she comes back in on account. So it's like 
I'm defense, I'm defense. Nope, I'm actually offense. Uh, it's really nice. It's, it, it, it kind of step back right hand. Uh, she rips the body. She parries punches, which I like a lot better than pillaring. Uh, if you don't know what I mean by parrying, it, parrying is when someone throws punches, you kind of block with your hands, and you kind of push. You have a downward pushing motion, so you go over the top of their punches. Um, uh, that's what I was boxing. That's what I used to do. That was my kind of go-to. Uh, a lot of calf kicks. She's a she's very physically strong woman. I, and that stood out to me in the fully suspensive fight. Which I did. I, I didn't think she was strong for the division, especially because you know there's a girl that was recently dropped down to 135 or didn't didn't make the weight, but you know was trying to fight at 135. Uh, she's got and she's an underrated wrestler. She's got a takedown in every one of her UFC fights, uh, including a, a good grappler in Felicia Spencer, uh, and she showed strong defense against Felicia Spencer, though she did get taken down at the end of the fight. And when she was taken out, she struggled to get back up. Uh, but that seemed more like a cardio thing than a, like a technique. As far as prediction goes, I have no feel for this fight. Like, you you know, and, and that happens a lot. It's probably at least one or two fights in every car where I don't have a good feeling or I don't, like, tape, like I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> Whoever pick, I'm going to be wrong. Uh, I'm a, This is about as 50-50 as I go. Lad thrives on being the stronger bully. And I don't know if she can do that against Dumont. But Dumont, like Dumont's gonna have the striking advantage. She's quicker, she's faster, she's more technically sound. But Lad has an it factor to her, where she seems like she can will herself to victories. Um, and I think that's what she's gonna do here. It's probably gonna be the hardest clinch battle that she's had in her career. But I still expect her to win. And I still ex- like Felicia Spencer found a way to get uh, Noma Dumont down. And the fact that she didn't spring right back up, that's cool against Felicia Spencer, who's more of like a jujitsu before punish you. That's not good against Lad. You you stay down on Lad. Lad's gonna butcher your face. The extra ten minutes concerns me. Like adding, you know, she was supposed to fight fifteen minutes. Now it's going up to twenty five minutes. That's concerning. The back. There's a lot of things that concern me about this fight. But all in all, I'm still gonna go with with lad because to me she still seems like the the more blue chip prospect uh so give me lad uh, but with no confidence yeah i thank you for that uh for that breakdown like if they were fighting at featherweight like planned three months out on full camps expecting a five round fight expecting each other lad would be a real easy pick here because i agree with you that uh that demont is probably the the better technical striker than Lad. Like Lad striking is really raw and just driven by her aggression and athleticism, and really just a means to an end. Really just wants to get inside and get her hands on you. But uh, even if like even if Lad gets hit on the way in, the thing that Demont doesn't really have is like stop you in your tracks power. So I mean, even if she like lands something cleanly on Lad on the way in, I don't think it's going to deter. Lad from at least trying to hoist her up and and dump her. It does give me pause that Dumont has made marked improvements from fight to fight. Uh, you know, like I I think in, in describing her fight with Megan Anderson, I was thinking of Anderson's fight with uh, Zara Farron Dos Santos because you know Dumont and Dos Santos debuted at the same time. They were obviously looking for any featherweights to you know influx into the division, but no, like. 
Anderson versus Dos Santos is where Anderson like just ran game on her on the ground. With De- DeMont versus Anderson, it was a DeMont ha- was completely unprepared for the reach. Like I remember her just throwing punches and kicks that just felt like a foot short of the mark because she did not know how to get inside on this six foot tall woman. Uh, and then Anderson tagged her with one shot that just dropped her to the seat of the pants and the thing was over. Like I figured, I figured Norman DeMont was not long for the UFC. She comes back, she beats Ashley Evan Smith. That yeah, I mean. Ashley Evans Smith had been on a long layoff and crime spree and, uh, you know, was never a great, great fighter. She was moving up and wait, wasn't Evan Smith moving back up too? Yeah. She was moving back up. Uh, Dumont blue weight also. So you had a former flyweight against 140 pound woman. Uh, but I mean, nonetheless, like she, she beat her and like looked way better than again, she did against Anderson. And then again, she looked like a completely transformed fighter against Spencer who, you know, thin division or not was a recent title contender and probably a top five featherweight. Like she's still improving from fight to fight, but the places where she's improving and the places that she can improve, just, I don't think they're going to stop lad from doing what she wants to do here. Uh, like I, like I said off the top, because, you know, you and I talked about this. Neither of us is, is super comfortable with this booking. But the what I would call a win coming out of this is that Lad's performance convince her, convinces her to stay at featherweight. You know, like that she feels good physically, that she finds that, hey, I am physically strong enough to throw around uh, another woman closer to my own size. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, she has trouble getting the fight to the ground and maybe get some stuff she doesn't like from DeMont on the feet. Maybe she even like loses a round or two in the early going. But I think there's a, a spot there where before she gasses out, cause I expect that she will get tired before DeMont before, you know, she tires out. She, she will figure out a way to get DeMont on the ground. And I haven't seen anything from either woman that makes me think that fight is ever getting back to the feet after that point, it might make it to the end of the round, but it's not getting back to the feet. Uh, give me Aspen Ladd by TKO on the ground. Uh, I'm going to say late in the second round. And it'll be a fun fight while it goes. And, you know, we'll kind of see what shakes out from here in, in a strange way. This is almost a more significant fight for this division going forward than if uh, Dumont had been fighting Holly Holm. Because that would have either just, you know, confirmed what we already knew or just, you know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so give give me give me Aspen Lad by second round TKO. Any other thoughts on this uh, fight or on this card? No, but I got I got another question. I need two more predictions from you. Give me the give me the winners of the Bellator semifinals. Oh, um, definitely give me uh, Nemkov over Angliskas. I I have no way to prove it except by MMA math as people cross over back and forth. But on talent, I, I think uh, Vadim Nemkov is probably one of the three or four best light heavyweights on the planet right now. Yes, I agree. And on the other one, man, here's the thing. Obviously, Bellator would love to have Corey Anderson win and, you know, to get a new face to fight Nemkov. But Corey Anderson, he is probably the best light heavyweight on the planet that Ryan Bader has this plausible an avenue to victory over. I think. I, yeah. Okay. I favor Anderson. But it would be less of a surprise if Bader beat him than just about any other light heavyweight in the top ten, except maybe Phil Davis because he's already beaten him twice. <laughs> so you're so you're taking uh, Anderson Nemkov. and Nemkov. Yep. All right. So I am. So I'll say this about Anglicus. 
Uh, I think he's he was one of the eight best guys Bellator had. Like he should have been in the field to begin with. Didn't have the name value, but uh, it's it's a tougher fight than people expect. But yeah, I'm taking Nemkov. And there's a reason why I'm asking you this. I haven't given out my best bet of the evening. Ryan Bader is an underdog. I actually, I think he should be the favorite. Now, I've never, I haven't done tape study. We weren't breaking down Bellator. I thought, like on paper, that Ryan Bader, and I know he's had some wars recently, and he's, you know, getting up there in age. I just I always thought Corey Anderson was a good stylistic matchup. So my best bet of the evening, plus one forty, Ryan Bader. That's my 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 best uh, best bet. Make sure if you bet, please bet responsible. Make sure you take. Ryan Bader in your bet, and also throw a $2 bid on a draw in a Jim Miller fight. Uh, but before we forget, I don't know if you saw this, but the newest member of, of Team Sherdog, uh, Sean Sheehan, had a Bellator preview show. So if you want a much more in-depth show, head over to the, uh, the YouTube page where you're watching this and, and check out that show. Yes, we're very happy to welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network Sean Sheehan of uh, Severe MMA. He is a veteran, outstanding uh, journalist and analyst uh, out of Ireland, and he'll be joining us uh, with preview shows, interview shows. His uh, debut for us this week was an interview with Ian Gary, a top Irish prospect who makes his debut uh, at, I think, UFC 267 um, later this month, and then a comprehensive breakdown of Bellator 268. So make sure to check that out if you want to hear uh, an adorable accent and the wisdom of somebody who actually has done tape study on those fights. Uh, for us over here, we've done tape studying in these fights and thank goodness it's over. Uh, and so is the Sherdog sure radio preview for UFC fight night, one ninety five. Uh, check out the fights, enjoy them. They're going head to head with Bellator. So, uh, we'll probably end up doing some kind of hybrid recap after the two of them. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, if you don't know already, Check us out on the SureDog front page or just directly on the SureDog YouTube page as Keith and I will be doing a live recap probably after the whichever main event ends last, but we'll, we'll keep you posted through the SureDog social media accounts where we'll talk about both cards, what was good, what was bad, what's next. Uh, the live chat is open then. We'll be taking your questions, comments, and hot takes. Uh, it's always a fun time. Uh, we're happy about the growing audience there and just the, the friends who come hang out with us. Uh, speaking of friends coming and hanging out with us, uh, it's good to be back, Keith. Uh, uh, certainly appreciate your analysis as always. Uh, that is Keith Schillen. I'm Ben Duffy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the fight, and we'll talk to you on Saturday. <laughs>